Good afternoon, everyone. So glad you're here. Got my fabulous co-host here, uh, connected and um, ready for conversation today. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Don't be shy. Come on up and join us in conversation. Um, Soul Sister and I are going to kind of give you a few things um, that have been on our radar. And certainly, we're all here to um, conversate about arraignment eve, you know, the arraignment tomorrow. But there are a lot of other things going on. And we're going to make sure that uh, we keep up with that as well. Um, with that being said, I am going to give my co-host an opportunity to say um, hello, greet you guys, um, give us a little bit of what's on her mind. I'm going to share a couple of my um, stories that relate back to my dark money deep dives that are currently happening that I think is important for us to be aware of. And um, hopefully Mark will be joining us soon and we'll get some SCOTUS updates. But you guys, um, you know how we do it here. Don't be shy. Joseph has already come up. So we'll go to him after Soul Sister and I um, kind of give our little update this morning. So Soul Sister, how are you? Hi, how are you guys? Um, great to be here this afternoon. Uh, good to see everyone. I just, uh, before we get into the really big news, which I'm sure uh, there there is a lot, uh, I wanted to just point your attention to a few things happening in Michigan. One of them being uh, that the, our governor has... Um, has started a, an LGBTQ commission and they're tasked with protecting the health and safety and well-being of the LGBTQ community and promoting LGBTQ culture and history and economic co contributions. So it was announced yesterday at the, um, at the gay pride parade. Uh, and, you know, she has been a staunch supporter and protector uh, the individual rights of the LGBTQ community here in Michigan. And, uh, you know, we celebrate it. We, we do because, you know, there were many dark years that we uh, managed to live through. And uh, now it seems that we're thriving. And then on the other side of the coin, we have uh, Christine Karam, Christina Caramo. Uh, she's the Michigan GOP director, I believe. Um, I, I'm not sure what her exact title is. I know she she leads the party here, and um, their biggest concern right now uh, is that Democrats will be able to vote in the Republican primary uh, coming up next year. Now, Michigan is not like other states. You don't have to be a Republican in order to vote in the primary. Anybody can. So they've, they've put forth a proposal, but it looks like from what I'm understanding, um, they, it, it's not going to take effect until, um, until after the 2024 presidential primary has taken place. So they're kind of um, in disarray. Imagine that. Uh, it's, it's important also to note that while Christina Caramo won this, uh, this seat or this, this office, she is, 
people are a little nervous because she's a very big MAGA person. And I mean, even QAnon, it's not, I don't know how she won, but you know, I'm not a Republican, so I I don't understand much of where their ideology uh, stems from. So this should be interesting because um, I don't think that they're truly competent that um, she'll be uh, unbiased enough to support who the party wants to see as uh, the nominee on that ticket. So we shall see. It's just, it's just funny. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, she says that they need to build the party from the ground up. Uh, Sounds a little libertarian, but you know, it is what it is. It's the, 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 this is them. And, um, I'm going to enjoy watching them uh, twist themselves up uh, while standing firm and fighting for us to hold Michigan uh, in the future. So thanks so much. Anyway, um, it's great to see everyone here and I'm glad to be here. Well, thank you. And I always appreciate um, getting updates on, um, you know, what's going on in Michigan, because again, like I said, um, States are blue until they're not, you know, they're red until they're not. Exactly. Um, I was doing a search and came across something that um, I wasn't exactly looking for, but it uh, it stuck with me. And it was like kind of a look back at what um, things that big stories that had happened occurred 10 years ago. And this was one from the time. And um, there was a Snowden. um which stuck out. And um, then um, the other one that stuck out was uh, Detroit declaring bankruptcy. Yeah. And. um, Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I very much remember that. Okay. And very much. So things can change, you know, and it, but it is only with um, the efforts um, of those people who are uh, invested in changing them. That's where we come in. So a couple of the stories that I have, because as Soul Sisters say, I know there are lots of people who want to probably share about the um, arraignments and that. Uh, One of the things that I did put up in the Jumbotron, I I posted um, um, a thread um, about the indictment and the charges. I had no idea um, that it would get so much traction, but I'm glad that it did because, and I put it up in the the nest um, because it's an audio link um, to the indictment. So if uh, folks can't or aren't able to read it, you can listen to it. Uh, you can certainly spare an hour and 12 minutes of your time. And Allie Bell, she does a fantastic job Um, and you know, you can pause, rewind. It's great. And then under that, I also posted the, um, a link, which is downloadable to the written copy. It is so important. You know, we can get out here and talk and listen to other people, but let's know what we're talking about. Let's know what's going on. I did print it out, Dee. I did print it out myself too, because I did feel like that's exactly how you say, mm-hmm. yeah, you do need to know for yourself. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy and it's damning, but we're going to get to that. But because you guys know, I, I like um, researching the dark money connections that are going on in our political sphere. Uh, and um, 
one of the, and I like to relate them to current stories that are happening so we can see how these things connect. And um, two stories that I came across um, that have that dark money connection. Um, one is that um, Students for Trump, which is a pretty um, vibrant, effective organization, is and and Charlie Kirk, who is the founder of Turning Point USA, um, took a hiatus from his Turning Point organization to kind of um, lead um, Students for Trump um, around 2019. Well, now it seems that um, they're splitting and they're talking, um, you know, they're having discussions, um, legal, um, drawing legal lines and things. So there's a bit of a split there. I think we need to pay attention to um, the Washington Post article. I just posted it. Um, I'll try to go back as we're talking to create a gift. I do have a, a subscription to them, so I'll do a gift link, but it's there. I think that's something we need to keep our, our eyes on. Um, and also the fact that um, I know many of you who are on TikTok and other places are familiar with the work of um, Libs of TikTok. Well, she was just brought into the uh, Turning Point USA network um, as a major contributor as well. So I thought that was very interesting. And I've been reading a little bit about... Um, a little bit of disarray that's going on there because um, just as in 2016, the big money donors were not, um, Trump was not their number one pick. You know, he was the one who ended up winning. So they went with him and they extracted some, you know, some promises and he delivered. But um, so here we are now again, to, uh, you know, 2024, Trump, again, is not their man. They really want DeSantis. And Charlie Kirk has been an avid supporter. He's almost been like a surrogate son to Donald. Um, he and, and Donald Jr. are very good friends. Um, there have been many reports about how often they both uh, were hanging out in the Trump um, hotel um, getting all of the um, access to all of the big donors who were flowing through there. He's held multiple um, Turning Point USA fundraising events at Mar-a-Lago. And um, his headliners for a lot of his events, you know, are Donald Jr. and his girlfriend, Kimberly. And so I think it's interesting that they're starting to uh, see some um, separation. Charlie is not um, all in for Donald. And um, keep in mind that he also formed just um, recently um, in 2021, this TPS UA, um, a Turning Point USA Faith um, organization. So they are looking for someone to kind of promote and embrace in that. And Trump doesn't fit into there. So just stay tuned, folks. Um, a lot of things are happening. And of course, you know, 
there's arraignment eve so with that being said i just want to thank you guys for being here joining us today looking forward to some lively conversation and um, don't be shy come on up and share retweet the space and invite others to join us and with that being said we do have joseph who's come up i'm looking forward to hearing from him today so how are you joseph hello ms d fine thank you how are you I'm great. Good, good. Hello, Soul Sister. Nice to see you too, as always. Um, well, you know, uh, what's still been on my mind, and I know, uh, Ms. D, uh, we've kind of shared some information about it in the past week, is because, you know, I've, you know, just got back from my vacation in the Lake Tahoe region, and uh, I was on the Nevada side of the lake most of the time. And I've just I've been thinking a lot about Nevada politics recently, and just how crucial it is going to be next year on so many levels, both the presidential a presidential race. They have a Senate race. You know, Jackie Rosen is up for reelection, and then. Uh, three House seats that we need to defend that are going to be crucial to taking back the House. And I did a little bit of research last night. The three Nevada House districts that are currently Democratic held, so Nevada 1, Nevada 3, and Nevada 4, the margins are very, very slim. Nevada 1 and Nevada 4 are just RD plus 3, and Nevada 3 is only D plus 1. And all three reps, uh, Dina Titus, Susie Lee, and Stephen Horsford, all won very narrowly in 2022. So um, it, we need all three of these races if we're going to take back the House. And one thing that can't be taken for granted with Nevada when talking about the presidential race is that Nevada has not voted for a Republican in a presidential race since 2004. But that being said, we can't take it for granted because it is a very purple state because their governor and lieutenant governor are Republicans, but the Democrats hold a majority in the state legislature. So, um, and there's, there's two crucial areas of the state to focus on Clark County where Las Vegas is and Washoe County where Reno is. Uh, between those two counties, you have almost 89% of the state's population. So to win a statewide race, you need both of those, uh, both of those counties. Uh, as Al Gore and John Kerry found out in 2000 and 2004, respectively, you can win Clark County, but if you don't take Washoe, you might not win the rest of the, the, the state. So um, that's just something to to think about and something, you know, that I'm going to be uh, pretty invested in in the next in, in the next year, because, you know, it's my neighbor. Uh, I care very much about what uh, what happens there. Um, let's see about the arraignment. So I was thinking Thursday night I was sitting in my hotel room up and just trying to process this all. And I think it's safe to say that we all can share stories about what those awful four years were like for us and what the damage that Trump did to this country. And I think we can probably all safely say that 2020 was without a doubt the worst year of his term. 
um, just the, the, the with just the, the chaos that went on that year. And I think we all we all suffered some form of trauma that year, and so now this is our time to to heal. And I know it, it felt that way for me to hear about the indictments. And la- last night, I did start to listen to a little bit of Ali Velshi's uh, reading of the indictments. And I actually had to stop a little ways in because I was getting mad. Just listening to what Ali Velshi was just reading these indictments up. And just I was getting so mad at what Trump did. And it's just like, how was this allowed to happen? And like, there has to be some level of accountability for the horrible things that he did. And I feel like we're finally reaching that point where he is going to be held uh, held accountable for his, his actions. And I think this is going to be, again, a way for all of us to heal from that trauma of those, those four years. And then one somewhat personal note, and I know I shared it with you, Ms. D, and I know I, uh, I see Renee's in the room. I shared it with her and Tiff uh, the other day in a space that they held. Um, I am uh, at 1130 my time today. I am going to be interviewed by a reporter from my local newspaper, the Orange County Register. Uh, She had seen some of my tweets online about the LGBT community in my area. So she is going to be interviewing me basically about my perspective on the LGBT community in my county. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, hopefully when the article comes out, I will be able to to share it with you all because I'm, I'm really excited about just being able to talk about what it means to me to be, uh, I don't know if I would consider myself an advocate yet, but at least to speak up online about uh, making my community better for the LGBT uh, community in my in my county. So uh, with that, I will land my plane. Thank you so much, as always, Ms. D, for giving me a chance to uh, to share my perspective. And I will sit back and hang out and enjoy everybody else's uh, perspectives until it's time for me to uh, jump off. All right. Well, I am so glad uh, that you are able to hang out with us today. And that was such great news that you shared. And you absolutely are an advocate. I find it interesting that people are a little bit afraid of that. You know, activists, maybe, but advocate, I mean, you, you know, you can advocate for anything um, just you know, to, to be and it doesn't have to be in big, broad ways. But what I am excited about is the fact that you have a paper uh, that is interested in gaining the perspective of, you know, constituents, you know, local, regular people. So that makes me feel good to know that there are journalists out there um, seeking um, that kind of story. I wish we had more of those and I wish they were more on a national level because, you know, they do seem to find the regular people, but they always seem to graduate toward, uh, gravitate toward the crazy folks. (laughs) Um, So um, thank you, Joseph. And we're so excited for you and we know you're going to do a great job, um, you know, speaking up for and representing you know, the uh, LGBTQ community and um, we're behind you and we can't wait to see it and share it and amplify it um, because, you know, it um, it's important 
that um, you have that space and and recognition just to be um, just to be yourself, just to live free. And it's a shame that it's even like a question. <laughs> so thank you so very much, uh, Joseph, and look forward to hearing some more from you today. And uh, we have Mark who has joined us, and I am so glad. Looking forward to him giving us some updates um, with SCOTUS and, you know, the arraignment. So we're just going to take this moment and have our legal update. How are you, Mark? Um, well, as you can surmise, I'm, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, constitutional issues going on, a lot of, a lot of law stuff happening. So I'm, I'm I, I know my, uh... your passion element was activated. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> I'm in my element. If, if anybody's been following my posts, I'm just like all about like, you know, rule of law and America and truth, justice and, and democracy. Um, so there's a lot going on. I mean, there's there's like I mean, this this I, I, I think in the last advocacy arena, I, I mentioned someone posted that someone posted on Twitter. I, I got to find this. Someone said this is the longest Tom Clancy novel ever, and I was, I'm like, I saw it still that. Is. Yes, it's true. Because <laughs> because Judge Eileen Cannon got assigned the case. I mean, like this is crazy, right? But when we when we look at how that happened, it wasn't. There's 15 judges in the Southern District of Florida, and initially we thought it was there was like a one in 15 chance. There's no way that the Eileen Cannon and the same magistrate, I think his name's Ron Hart, uh, got chosen. But what we come to find out uh, moving forward is that um, Jack Smith's team, they decided, they took a, they did a cost benefit analysis on bringing this case. Um, and what the analysis uh, entailed was whether to bring it in DC or to bring it in uh, the Southern district of Florida, specifically West Palm beach. And the issue of venue is a big is a big deal uh, amongst the circuit courts, the federal the, the federal courts, and, and the Supreme Court. Um, and there's a Supreme Court case right now that's actually uh, gonna, the the ruling is going to come out pretty soon. That that they had to take into consideration whether uh, uh, if they select the wrong venue, whether they can recharge the crime. So if they decided to go forth in D.C. Hey, Mark, check your mic. We lost you. Or he could have gotten a phone can, can you, call. Can, yes. Can you hear you're me? Back. Yes, you're back. Okay. So there's, there's a case called U.S. versus Smith that's before the Supreme Court right now. But we didn't we didn't cover this this whole year, but it's about venue. And this case becomes apparent because um, Jack Smith's team had to decide um, where to file this case. And he checked West Palm Beach where uh, the documents were found in order to avoid a what could be a year-long litigation with regard to venue. So it was a cost-benefit analysis to choose whether to have the chance to have a one-in-four chance choosing West Palm Beach. There's four judges in West Palm Beach. Eileen Cannon is one of them. Um, and so they chose the 25% chance that they would get Cannon instead of a year-long litigation fighting over a venue. Um, and they could ultimately lose that that case too, and it, it'll be back in the same place. So they decided to bring the charges down in Florida. Um, that that's that's like the, the the you know one of the most pressing things. The other thing is is um, with regard to the indictment. 
Okay, there's a lot of like uh, right wing or, or rightish people. Um, some some of them, uh, one of them at least, Mike Davis and then Jeff Clark are a part of the, were a part of the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, or the Department of Justice. Jeff Clark was an environmental lawyer, so I, you know he's and he's the guy that did the memo um, to try to subvert the Twelfth Amendment and like tell Trump that he could like and tell Trump to tell the VP that that he could and him and Eastman are in the same boat. Um, and by the way, Eastman is actually going to trial to he might lose his license in California. That's a little big case that is going to have going to invoke a lot of testimony. So keep keep track of that advocacy arena. The John Eastman uh, California bar case is actually a pretty big thing. There's going to be a lot of testimony that has implications for January 6th. Moving on, though, the indictment is a strong indictment. I, I don't let anybody tell you it's not. It's like one of the strongest indictments that anybody's ever read. Um, I've, ne- I've never read an, an espionage indictment that is like, and I've read a couple on smaller cases. Obviously, this is like one of the biggest cases in American jurisprudence history. But it, it's like, I mean, the thing reads at a great level, too. It's like a fifth grade level, and like it reads so well. It's like, it's, it's a story about some dude that was like keeping information on, on nukes, uh, spy satellites, locations, and how we do things and like, you know, if we got attacked, what would we do? And like also attacking Iran as well. Um, and so this is a very strong case. The, the, the Republicans who are no longer the rule of law party by default because of their defensive of their, uh, of their, of their savior, um, they're, they're going down the wrong path and it's un-American. So where are we right now? So yeah, we have judge Cannon and everybody's talking about recusal. Um, there's been a bunch of articles about recusal and, and actually like, uh, I'm gonna tell you this right now. I, I have conversations with everybody, a, a lot of people that are in this space. Um, me and Renee had a long, about an hour and a half long conversation about recusal. And Renee was like, man, I want her off the case. I want her off. I want her off. And I was like, well, you know, well, here's the thing. And like, we were just going back and forth and, and lo and behold, on Monday, there's like a few articles. Um, I think Renee posted one of them. It's actually the best article, I think, from the New Yorker that talks about, um, you know, why Judge Cannon needs to recuse herself. And what if she doesn't, right? Um, because if y'all remember at, when Advocacy Arena uh, uh, derived from, well, D started Democracy First. And then like, you know, like we went to Advocacy Arena I won't talk about how or why, but like we 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 were talking about this in both of those sessions and in the advocacy arena. One of the first things we were talking about was just Judge Cannon first. Remember that, D? We were talking about Judge Absolutely. Cannon. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was like one of the first advocacy arenas when you came back. And so we've been dealing with Judge. I feel like we know Eileen Cannon very well for those who've been with us for like almost a year now. Um, and so. The reason why it's it's scary is because her rulings on the 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 initial case when Trump tried to file a civil lawsuit to stop the uh, government from pursuing its investigation, she made th- these these rulings that were not based in law, and um, and she's a Trump appointee, but it's actually Trump appointees that said, "Hey, girl, you." Um, you ain't up on the downstroke, man. Like, what you doing? Like, this is not even a law. What What are you doing? This is like something you've been... 
I mean, we can't even say you bent the shit towards his direction. You just made up your own shit, and that's not the law. That's literally what the 11th Circuit said about Eileen Cannon's two rulings. They, they, um, they overruled her one time, and actually the DOJ was like, they should have, uh, they should have made made the motion earlier because it, I don't think they knew they had the the Eleventh uh, Circuit like on board like they did. But the Eleventh Circuit slammed Eileen Cannon, so she was appointed by Trump in 2020. And rem- and I want to remind people that because of the cost of 2016, I always want to remind you that she was appointed at the same time that Amy Coney Barrett was nominated too. This was a part of the the group of um, justices that were um, nominated between him losing the election and him and the inauguration of Joe Biden. And um, thanks to Leo Leonard's uh, infusion and influence. <laughs> right. So um, her the problem with her is her previous decisions that were reversed. Um, they they not necessarily um made the accusation but it's it's clear that they uh, they deduced a bias towards Trump because there's no other reason why a judge a federal judge would depart so so um far from what the actual law is to come up with the decisions she made to accept jurisdiction of this case she there's no way she could accept the jurisdiction of the of the case on the civil part last year right so there's concerns about her impartiality in the current case. There is a law, you guys. There is a law uh, regarding um, judges. It's, it's 28 U.S.C. 455. I talked about this last week. Um, and it, it states that a judge should recuse himself if their impartiality might reasonably be questioned. Well, you know, and, and what does that mean? That is not there as an accident, as a regular sentence. Reasonably be questioned is a term of art, meaning the ordinary person of particular prudence, of ordinary prudence, um, would they think that this judge might have a problem with partiality, looking at all they know about this case? Um, And here's where everything comes into, even conservative lawyers, when when they saw that decision she made last year, uh, with regard to Trump, they were like, this is the wrong law. She's not applying the law. I mean, we, we are pro-Trump, but this judge is departing from the law. So um, and so here's the dilemma. There's always a there's always a Shakespeare moment in law. And that's why, you know, some of the great lawyers and, and Renee would be like, Mark is like crazy because he always looks at everything, right? Like, I don't make a decision about it. I'm like, it depends. It depends. It depends. And that was a hard discussion like on uh, yesterday. <laughs> We were like, it depends. I was like, it depends, but but this, but this, but this. And like, and she was coming at me. Renee was coming at me, and I was like, well, well, you know, it depends. It depends. Um, she'll, and she'll talk more about that. But like, she was she was right on point about like what the issues are, though. We were we were talking about the issues. So here's the thing, and like this is like game time moment where you can think about anything you any any challenge you've ever had in life. When do you bring it up? Right, like you know, and and. Especially if bringing it up and you don't get your way, what do you lose? So think about like any decision you ever made professionally or or personally. If you brought it up, shit's gonna go shit can go south, right? So that's where the DOJ is right now. They can they can move for a recusal right now. 
and they can say, hey, Judge, you, you made these rulings that were horrible. And like it's obvious you're you're partial toward Trump. You, you need to recuse yourself. Well, what if she doesn't? They have to appeal it to 11th Circuit. What if the 11th Circuit just said, hey, no, homegirl just made she just made bad rulings. She didn't know any better. She's not partial. There's nothing to indicate she's partial. She just made bad rulings. And we suggested that, too. And they lose. Then they have to try the case in front of a person they just 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 accused of being partial. Now, the one thing they can do, and if, if you read these articles, especially the article that uh, Renee posted, if you read the article, one it's, it's an expert that literally does this stuff all the time. Um, what they can do is they can write a letter. It could be the motion, the, the precipice of the motion could be in this letter and say, hey, judge, we don't think that you um, should be on this case. Because one of the primary aspects of recusal under 28 USC 455 is public the public's perception of the integrity of the court. Um, so that, that's a big consideration. That's that's actually why a lot of people are saying, hey, Eileen, you need to recuse yourself because people don't believe in you. The way you handled the case before, the public doesn't believe in you. Well, she's like, Maga believes in me, but like, nah, you know, 80% of the people think this is bullshit. Like, you shouldn't be on the case. 80% of the people think this is a problem. Nuclear secrets, war strategy, and satellite information should not be in the in the hands of Donald Trump. Like you know, now I, I'm I'm not, I'm even gonna I'm not gonna say a former president because that's true, but especially this former president. This dude has a history of like commodifying everything. He saw value in these documents, and like we know from from the indictment, he's this is the way they started. He started collecting this shit as soon as he got in office. He started collecting these boxes. Yes, I, so, I caught that. So if, if exactly, if you read that, like D just said, he had a plan about these these fucking documents, and he was always thinking about how he's about to parlay this shit. You know, but and like you think about how much money. I think I, I saw an article or a report about how much money he's made since he's been in. He, he made about two point eight billion dollars as far as his businesses from being president in three and a half years. Um, so what they can do, what they can do, what the government can do, and what to expect moving forward. As, as I close, I'm, I'm about 20, 75% done. So they can move for recusal or they can wait um, until she makes some, some kind of bias. They, they can't wait till they have something favorable and then they have something bad and they go like, we need you to be recused. That's going to be too late. So they have to, so the, the, the government, the Department of Justice, Jack Smith's team needs to decide right now whether they can try this case in front of her. The case is strong and prosecutors deal with bad judges all the time. This is not, this is not the first time any of the Jack Smith prosecutors have been in front of an adverse judge. This happens all the time. Now, this case happens to be one of the most important cases of American history. So uh, it's a little bit different as we, as we move along, there's no precedent for it. Um, so there's nothing, there's nothing as an example. There's nobody as high as the president of the United States that's ever been charged with espionage. Nixon is as close as we got, but like Ford, uh, Gerald, uh, pardoned him. So we, we didn't get to, uh, he didn't get to the indictment phase. He would have been convicted. Um, and so what the government is going to suggest is that her previous rulings favoring Trump and her treatment of the search and seizure case, they create doubts about her impartiality um, and that she should recuse herself. Um, and there's, but there's risks and downsides like I, I, I discussed. Um, 
Who's going to be? So what happens when she recuses is that the case gets reassigned. The Department of Justice has no control over that. Um, they don't know who to go to. And Eileen King is not the worst judge in the Southern District of Florida. We just know her. And we know she's bad. There's other judges down there that, that may and strongly probably are partial to Donald Trump. We'll see. Um, and then the Trump defense team, whenever he gets one, because I heard that he, he's having a hard time finding one. And meaning, I'm meaning, glad you brought that up. Well, meaning that he has to find a lawyer that's barred in the Southern District of Florida. So there's lawyers in, in Florida, right? There's defense, criminal defense lawyers, but not all criminal defense lawyers have registered with the Southern District of Florida to handle cases in the district. So ones that do handle federal cases and usually the defense attorneys that handle federal cases, um, they're like pretty high up. They do like big cases and they have a lot of big clients and some clients of these firms, these big firms that would, you know, probably go for uh, handling. They don't want to be affiliated with a firm that represents Trump because their their business would suffer. Um, they would lose some business. I mean, like big companies with these firms that would lose business. So he's having a hard time finding a, a, a competent uh, defense attorney in the Southern District of Florida. Now, th they're saying that it may affect his ability to be arraigned that he doesn't have a lawyer because I think the lawyer he hired has not had not had the chance to register in SDFL yet. So um, that's going to be that's going to become a an issue. So there's the, I'm, I'm going to summarize some issues that are on are not clear now like, that are prominent, though. Right. So and these are questions that are going to be up for discussion that you're going to hear over the next couple weeks. Should Judge Cannon recuse herself from the case considering her previous decisions? What impact could she have if she stays on the case? The little decisions about what evidence comes in and what evidence is excluded is big. The decisions about um, the attorney-client privilege and whether... Now, a judge in D.C. decided that Evan Corcoran's um, um, testimony was required by the grand jury. That doesn't mean that it, that it goes to that in trial. It's a whole new issue at trial. She, Judge Cannon can decide that the attorney-client privilege is not pierced, and that issue could be has to be appealed interlocutory, which means the DOJ would have to appeal that immediately on mandamus on that issue alone, because Corcoran is is almost the whole case. His lawyer, um, Donald Trump, hides behind his lawyers. He's not dumb. He's smart. He hides behind his lawyers to do his dirty deeds. Piercing the attorney-client privilege was huge in this case. Once Corcoran testified, we knew that an indictment was coming pretty soon. But that motion still has to happen before the trial judge. In this case, it's canon. Does she have the experience? Does she have the intellectual rigor? Does she have the legal, uh, the legal mind to be able to parse through the defense arguments and make the right ruling? Which actually should be consistent with what the D.C. judge who was seasoned uh, decided. Uh, chief judge, by the way. Um, decided as well. Um, what role would the appellate court play in the 11th Circuit, right? We we got that the fact that they ruled um, for the DOJ when it was obvious, but in, in these trial cases, it's not so obvious. There's arguments to be made on both sides. So it's the discernment is not as, as oblivious uh, as it regards like what happened before the indictment, because that was pretty clear that, hey, man, Article 2 and Article, uh, Article 2 and article, article, yeah, Article Two and Article Three are two separate. You can't impose your your will upon 
the uh, the investigation from the executive office of a person. You can't do that. You can't stop it. You can't deter it. Not, you, you can't do it unless and, and they gave her the, the guidelines and the law was pretty clear. She just like didn't want to use it. Um, and also, like, you know, when it comes to sentencing, I mean, based on the charges with with no um, with a person with no uh, criminal background, uh, Trump is facing um, almost 30 years in state prison. Uh, federal prison. Um, is she? Is she? Will she be able to impose that, or will she be lenient? A leniency is like you know you can't just do what you want to do in federal court. You have to, um, in order if you depart from the federal guidelines, because there's federal guidelines that there's federal guidelines that uh, judges have to adhere to, and if you depart from those guidelines, the federal judge has to make a, a make a basis for it that's reasonable. So. Um, she has to um, sentence Trump to jail time, but you know the fact that he's a former president may play heavily in favor of him once he's found guilty. Because when he go when they go to trial, he's going to be found guilty. And remember this: it is a West Palm Beach grand jury that indicted him. Uh, it wasn't a Miami grand jury. It wasn't a uh, it wasn't a um, it, it was a West Palm Beach. They don't like him that much in West Palm Beach. Uh, let's not let's not let, when we when we think it's like he's he's not going to be um, he's going to be treated uh, with partiality from the jury. The West Palm Beach people don't like him even living there. Remember that when he they don't like became, because that that Mar-a-Lago is not even supposed to be a resident. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. He li- he lied and he, he like dissed him because he promised that he wouldn't live there after his presidency. And that's why they gave him some zoning accommodations. Uh, for to to redo it, but he's living there, right? and so they're like really pissed. Yeah, about which that. means his taxes are are calculated differently as well. So you know, there's also that. There, there's that, but in in Florida, he's I don't think DeSantis and his team is they don't care about that. But um, but but just remember that for, for purposes of who who the jury the, the pr- prospective jury is on a federal level, there's not these are not state jurors; these are federal jurors. That are they're just a different group of people that are not like state. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that state jurors are dumb. I'm just saying that like federal grand federal juries and grand juries usually uh, consist of very educated people um, that like know not necessarily everything about the law, but a little bit about it. But most of them have college educations, and like um, that is the key. Um, actually, I think Trump would rather have a trial in Miami. To tell you the truth. And in West Palm Beach, but like, you know, that depends. So, you know, that's kind of like a rundown of of what's going on in in a nutshell, Um, not to like try to do a a whole uh, class on on uh, what's going on. But, uh, you know, we're we're in excited. Now, let me let me end with this. The most exciting time about this trial until trial is happening right now. After these things, after like this, it's going to get boring once we. And, and when, like, you know, depending on whether the judge recuses herself or not, after that, it's going to get really boring because we're not going to hear about anything because of the Classified Information Protection Act. Um, that's done in secret. Uh, we're not going to hear anything about the judgments that are made there. Now, we may hear appeals like the, if the Department of Justice says, hey, if Judge Cannon is on it, and she's like not adhering to the statute. They, they're going to appeal to the 11th Circuit to make her do it or, or that that might be a basis for them to have ask her for reassignment because she's not adhering to uh, what SEPA says she has to do regarding discovery of classified information because Trump is not going to be able to get this stuff 
and be able to like post it or anything like that. So there will be some kind of gag order. And maybe if, even if she like doesn't even do a gag order, that might be grounds too for a recusal motion. Like you can't have this dude talking about our case and like trying to, trying to uh, infect a potential jury pool. So um, just, just don't be, don't think that this excitement level is going to be, uh, is, is, is going to be sustained over the over the summer, after like the next few weeks, it's gonna get like really quiet. But it doesn't mean nothing's happening. Uh, and then also, we still have um, the, the one of the most one of the best attorneys in America, Fanny Willis is coming, y'all. Fanny Willis is coming, and that's gonna be a spectacle too because she likes to make a big splash. And like you know, when she makes a splash, it's airtight. So look for the look for the crescendo of the symphony of cases: E. Jean Carroll, Alvin Bragg. Jack Smith and the crescendo, like the Fifth Symphony, dun 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 dun, is Fanny Willis. Here yeah. we go. I just imagine, like you know, like nails kind of just all flying at him. All these cases, and it's going to be interesting to see how he campaigns under these conditions because you know he'll be even though you know it'll be boring stuff that's happening. He'll likely be having appearances or his attorneys and things that that are going on that we may not even know about so it's going to be interesting because you know he how he likes his rallies and all of this stuff that's you know how he campaigns and how he's going to manage that with all of his court appearances you know in Florida and New York and Georgia and you know I don't know maybe in DC because um, this is just one of two cases that Jack has. <laughs> um, so I think these are interesting times and I am so thankful that we have someone as uh, adept in the law um, and with your ability to explain it to us lay people. Um, so I am so grateful and so honored, Mark. Thank you so very much for taking time out of your day to come and do this for us. I, I don't take it for granted, and I truly, truly appreciate it. And up next um, at speaker, we have um, the talented Miss Renee, who is able to also take that legal jargon and... Uh, add some humor to really help us understand and help it resonate. And I'm so grateful for her. And um, also, you know, the wonderful spaces that she has. Um, she and Tiff both had some great spaces after the announcements. I'm sure they're on their timeline. If you weren't able to join, I think it is worth a listen. Um, she has a long history of having some really, really impactful spaces, and we're so grateful to her. And I'm looking forward to hearing from her. So thank you, Renee. So glad you joined us and you took time out of your schedule because I know you, you got a new job now. So things are different. I understand. But thank you so much. Uh, thanks for <clears throat> thanks for all those compliments. And yeah, thanks for, for welcoming me. Um, I uh I have some some work from home time this Yay! so I am like picking my days. Um, I've been waiting for indictment number two for a long time, so this is like this is a, another Super Bowl. Um, but I am digesting information like crazy, and Mark and I have been going back and forth. For the last few days, um, just like, what? And then he's like, well, this is probably going to happen. And I'm like, what? I rebuke that, <laughs> you know? Um, and I've been asking him a ton of questions uh, because clearly I'm not a legal expert. I'm not an attorney in any way, shape, or form. But I can, I can kind of, 
you know, I can digest some of this stuff and I ask really good questions and that helps me to, to understand what's going on. And literally just yesterday I said to him, because there was one report that showed that Trump was having problems getting attorneys. And I had wondered about that because he has burned so many attorneys and they were planning. See, everybody was kind of anticipating that the case would be in DC. I don't think, I don't think he was, was, uh, I don't think his team, cause nobody saw Florida coming. Like, it's, uh, you know, leading a couple of days leading up to the indictment. Yes. I think people were like, Oh, it may be split at best, but nobody really anticipated everything to be in Florida. So that caught his team off guard. So I, I just, I'm like, okay, I don't think he's prepared for, you know, defense in Florida. And then I saw one article early yesterday that said he was having trouble finding attorneys. And I said to Mark, I said, now, what if this fool can't find an attorney? Is he going to be able to delay? Because um, he has burned through so many of them. Are there any and left? And he doesn't pay them. He's the worst <laughs> He's the yeah. He's the. What about a public defender? Well, I you know, and Mark can explain that, but um, you know, I think he's probably going to be able to find. He just needs to find somebody that's locally there. Mark said that. um, I guess Todd Blanche should have filed some paperwork in Florida, but again, they were they were not anticipating this at all. And Blanche is new. You see, so there's there's just so much that has changed in the last several days with regards to his team. But um, the former guy in disarray. But yeah, I, I asked that question. <laughs> yeah, because I'm just like, there's he's he doesn't pay his attorneys. He's the worst client in the history of the legal profession. I mean, just the worst literally tells everybody everything all the time. Like he just he just gives up his guilt. He, it, he implicates his own attorneys, okay? He makes his, his attorneys, you know, unknowing conspirators in his crimes. I mean, so who would who would agree that you're not going to pay me? I'm probably going to be subpoenaed. I might go to jail or be charged myself. I'm probably going to have to give testimony. You know, like who who would agree to that, you know, unless they're <laughs> insane? And, and if you can find that maniac, are you going to be able to find them in enough time? You know what I mean? For the trial. So it's just, there's a lot going on there. Um, but Mark made a point that I made like months ago when the, 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 the Cochran stuff first came out, um, that it, part of Trump's MO is hiding behind attorneys. And the reason that I was able to, to draw that out is because he told us, I mean, he was on an interview on Fox and he was like, you know, normally <laughs> I'm able to, you know, I'm able to to tell my attorney everything, but but with this new thing, they they've subpoenaed my attorney, and it's so un-American. And yeah. I was like, oh my it's, god, yeah, that that's literally. It's like now they got well, me. What am I gonna do? That's worked so well. But that's right. But that's what he's been doing like his entire. I mean, this is he's one of the most lit- litigious people, uh, like ever. He he has you know he's lived in court, which is why he you know he he knows all of these little workarounds. He knows how to, how to delay, how to drag things out. He's been doing this his whole career. So that's been his MO and they blew up his MO like completely. And it wasn't just that one attorney. There's a couple of them um, that, that, that are in severe trouble, but with regard to Canon, 
Um, you know, I don't, I do believe that things happen for a reason. Uh, and this is just really bogus. like, yes, yeah, random and all that, but you know, the odds of her getting this case, even if there are a few attorneys in Florida is still just like this woman was appointed by Trump. She's incompetent. She's as incompetent as you're going to get for a federal judge. And she's partial. Like, I mean, and she has proven all of that. So my thing with her is I don't just think that she's biased. I think she's real MAGA because anybody who would do what she did in that first case, okay, and knowing full well that she might get in trouble or that her, you know, her her ruling would be, you know, maybe reversed, whatever. It, you're you're not making those type of sacrifices unless you're a true believer or you 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 feel pressured to. And for that reason, she is un, to me, she's unfit. I, I don't even it's, to me, it's not even even so much bias. It's just she is not built for this in any way, shape or form. And if the 11th uh, Circuit does not understand that, then I, mean, I don't know what to tell anybody. Now, you know, people have made the argument that, you know, she's young in her career and, you know, she may want to advance. But my thing with that is this. She's real MAGA as far as I'm concerned. So what that means is that her family is, some of her friends are, and the pressure that people will put on you when they're around you, the pressure that MAGA world is going to put on her. I don't think she's going to be able to withstand it because they're, if you read their tweets, if you go to their blog, you know, I, I'm, I'm always in their business. They expect her to dismiss the case and she clearly cannot dismiss the case. But what that, what that tells me is that, their um their expectations of her she will never meet them which means that she's instantly going to disappoint them they're going to be dragging her she may get threats and all all it's going to take is one trump tweet like i i gave this woman a job i can't believe that she's not she's going to allow this to happen to me if i'm in her shoes there's no way in hell i want this case because i wouldn't want you know what i mean i would not want to be in this predicament there's no right. winning it's a, it's, for her. it's a she's no win lose. situation no matter how you slice it she's gonna lose yeah no matter what she's going to lose either she's going to ruin her career her reputation which she's already done or she is going to blow up her personal uh relationships and her connection to maga world because she's not going to meet their expectations there's no way she can because yes she can she can do a lot of damage she can do a lot of damage to this trial and that the article that i posted mark actually is the one who sent it to me it is it's such a wonderful it's an interview with a nyu uh i think an nyu professor uh and it's just the way he explains everything and he goes through the whole gamut it is it's wonderful so if you have ch a chance to read it you guys should go and you should read it because it's going to really lay out exactly what should happen what can happen and like all of the factors that are in play and all of the ways that she can disrupt this case and so i just don't think that she is fit for this at all and we'll see what happens if she you know it, there's the the clause that Mark and I were just talking about that, you know, Jack Smith's team can write a letter to her before filing like a formal motion that they can write an actual letter to her basically saying, hey, we think you should remove yourself. And, you know, that could give her an out. You know, she could basically say, like, well, like hey, like, hey, you ain't shit and we don't want to bring no shit, right. but like get off this shit. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, 
to me, if they were to do that, it 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 would kind of be genius because then we would get to see what how she's going to move forward because her response to that, even if she doesn't respond, right? Like her response to that really is going to tell how it's she everything exactly. Yeah, because, you know, she already knows what people think of her. She already understands what what has happened. And so if if after all of that, she is still not able to make a sober decision for herself, then to me, this this is we're talking about a woman who is a judge in arguably the most important trial that our country has ever seen you know until the next trial that trump has because georgia january 6th and the documents case are all like the three most important trials of 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 our country um but you're talking about somebody who's going to preside over that trial who has the worst judgment i've ever seen Right. Like not even I mean, for a judge. Exactly. I don't like trust this. her to make decisions for her own personal life. Like I don't trust her judgment. Exactly. So it's the argument for whether or not she should recruit recuse is dead on arrival because the woman just is she's not to me capable of making good decisions. So, you know, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting either way. I trust Jack Smith's team. I feel like they know what they're doing. I feel like they planned for this because they knew that it was possible that she would get this case. And I feel like this case is in the best hands possible. So whatever happens, like we have to kind of go with it and accept it because I, I don't think there's a better team that could be could be prosecuting this case right now which means that everything that they do in my opinion even if i don't agree with it i'm i have to rationalize that like this is the best team we got you know you look at six six to seven months he was able to get this thing together and the moves that he's made uh so far have been beyond impressive and they're very thoughtful and so i refuse to believe that they don't already know what they're going to do about this and that he's not one step ahead of the game so We'll see how it, you know, how it pans out. And in the meantime, we're learning a lot about venue <laughs> and, and recusal and like all of these other and fun SEPA. things. You know, like, <laughs> yes, yeah, SEPA, right? Right. Mark Mark told us to, to, you know, to make sure that we read up on that. Um, so there's a lot of, of interesting things going on. But, you know, that said, I, I'm not worried about her, but it will be very interesting to see what happens with her. Um, and, you know, I'm going to enjoy the arraignment tomorrow. I'm going to claim that we will have an arraignment tomorrow um, because regardless. So let's just send up some candles that this fool is able to find some dummy in Florida that can represent him for this arraignment because we don't need to do this arraignment twice. Um and then again, I'm also praying that there's no violence because these people are, you know, they're getting crazy with their threats. Um, and I don't, I, I really believe that the security surrounding the courthouses, I think they've got a great plan worked out. But still, I'm fine if folks get arrested. I'm, I'm absolutely fine with that. But I don't want, you know, I don't want people hurt, especially innocent people. So, you know, that's where I land with it. And yay, indictment too. And I'm glad that... You know, like Mark said, things are going to calm down after this because I need a breath before Georgia. And that's what that's the whole reason why I said I wanted um, I wanted this to happen right away because I just I need to breathe before before finding gets gets going and and take a minute. So the universe is bending to my will. 
And I always love when it <laughs> when it does that. But yeah, let's just take these next few days. Let's enjoy. There's more accountability that's going around. I've like posted some other things, some other cases that are happening, some other kind of judgments. Um, they just ruled that Jacob Wall and his little associate friends are going to have to pay like five million dollars um, because <laughs> because of robocalls that they illegal yes, robocalls that they that's made the second one. That's the second case on them. <laughs> Yes. So yeah, so it's good stuff going around. So, you know, let's 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 ride that wave, you know, while we can and you know, and that's yes, it. The summer of accountability. I love it. <laughs> so thank you so very much, Renee. And we have Miss Sean who has come up to join us and looking forward to hearing from her. And I want to extend an invitation to anyone who is listening there in the gallery to not be shy. Come on up. Join us in the conversation. You can talk about the arraignment. If there are other, you know how we do it here. We're not just, you know, narrowly focused. Of course, that's the top news of the day. It's not the only news. Um, there are a lot of different things going on. And um, I strive to make sure that we uh, are aware of all of the important things. So um, don't be shy. Come on up. Join us. And Sean, how are you today? Hi. Good afternoon, Miss D and Soul Sister. Good afternoon. Or Good morning, depending on where everyone else is. Um, I'm doing well. Um, I've been enjoying listening. And I have a question for Mark. <clears throat> Since Lindsey Graham is so convinced that the former guy is innocent, <laughs> why can't he be like I know like on TV, they have lawyers that can come in from other states as long as there's a somebody in the main state who can vouch for them to be the attorney, why can't is that something that's possible? Could Lindsey Graham uh, represent Trump if he gets a sponsor from the state of Florida? No, because they still have to be barred in the Southern District of Florida. Do you understand what that means, Sean? When he says barred, like licensed basically so he has to he has to pass the bar in that state or or they're it, it means that they, they it means that they it means that they have to have an application okay say that one more time Yeah, Mark. We, we... So, so it mean it means that they have to register with the Southern District of Florida in order to represent Trump in Florida. So you can't just roll in as an attorney from anywhere. You have to register and go through a paperwork process to be uh, accepted into the Southern District of Florida's bar. So, like, if you do Supreme Court cases, you have to register with the Supreme Court to argue cases in front of them. If you okay. want to do cases in D.C., you have to register there. It's not a matter of passing a test. It's just a matter of like, you know, you have to fill out the paperwork to do to so. Practice, oh, to okay. practice in that state. It's the same is true of any attorneys, even divorce attorneys. You know, you have to be. Yeah. Yeah, because I've seen um, where they've like, it, there's a, a attorney in, let's say, in the state of Florida who can file on behalf of and then, but I'm not sure how fast the process is well you're talking about filing things that's that's a little bit different i think but mark is the attorney i'll, I'll let him speak to that 
And then I want to add something to what you said about Lindsey Graham, which I think is <laughs> is um, pertinent here. <laughs> Go. Okay. Well, well the, well, the issue that he's having is that you know he, he like like Renee was uh, inferring he has a bad he has a bad record um, a bad record with attorneys. So um, he he just hired an attorney named Todd Blanche, but Todd Blanche is probably not registered in the Southern District of Florida, so you can't roll into court. Literally, physically, you cannot go into court if you're not able to, uh, if you're not registered or if you're not barred there. You have to, like, you have to get a specific clearance to be able to take cases in different districts around the country, um, Supreme Court, federal, and all that other stuff. So, um, yeah, that's the problem that he's having. Okay. All right. And then <clears throat> the process for getting barred, we're thinking, is very lengthy. Or could it be expedited by, say, a governor? <laughs> no, this, this is the Florida State Bar that controls um, who, I mean, excuse me, the, the Southern District of Florida. It, it's okay. a paperwork thing. So it, it could be expedited, but like, it's not going to take, it's not a couple day process. It's like a couple weeks. So, you know, that, that's uh, Trump's fault. That, you know, I mean, that, that's his fault. There's, there's attorneys that will represent him in Southern District of Florida. He just, you know, I mean, obviously he's trying to not pay somebody too much. That's what, that's what the problem he's having. And he can't get a public defender because he makes too much. Um, federal public defenders that go to people that are indigent and don't have enough money to afford their own counsel. The Constitution guarantees your right to counsel. And the government pays for your defense attorney if you, don't, if you can't afford one. Not because you plowed through all the decent <laughs> Okay. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. I was just curious. I was like, well, why can't Lindsey Graham do well, good it? Good question. You know, he seems like his biggest advocate at this well, point, but I get it now. Interesting you should say that, but Lindsey is probably worried about um, his his own case over there in Florida, which is about ready to drop. And uh, the other interesting thing, turning back to Turning Point USA, is um, Charlie Kirk hates Lindsey Graham. And he hates that Trump is so vested in a relationship with him. Um, I'll have to find that article, but that like they don't like him. There's a certain sect of them don't like him. And they don't understand why Trump is keeping him so close. They think Lindsey is dead weight. <laughs> that, so I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much. Great question. Um, so uh, Meredith has come up and I'm not sure if she wants to contribute something or she has a question. And that's another thing, guys. Um, if you do have questions, Mark is always so very uh, generous with his time. Um, and his knowledge uh, to be able to address those. So we're getting to the top of the hour and we're going to be wrapping up, um, closing out in our second hour. So don't be shy. And with that, I'm going to give the mic to Meredith. How are you? Thanks, Dee. Thanks for having this space. Um, I just want to say hello to everyone and thank you so much for being a part of, you know, saving democracy and having tough conversations. Um, I just have a quick question for Mark. I noticed in the complaint or at least the penalty section, um, there are no mandatory minimums for any of the offenses. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on that. And that's my hit. That's all I got. Oh, he can give you the rundown on that for sure. So, Mark, are you available to answer? He may. Yes. Okay. Um, so there, there, there's federal sentencing guidelines. So uh, I think that uh, I posted, I reposted at least, um, 
uh, I reposted at least one of the um, a a calculation. It's close. Uh, I, I thought that the the author, even though uh, he's a very pretty esteemed attorney, he made a mistake about about one of the uh, the obstruction charge. You can't have an obstruction enhancement, um, and that like adds time to an obstruction charge. It's like a Supreme Court thing. Like you can't like so if if you if I have a firearm charge, I can't add a personal use enhancement to the firearm charge because it's a part of like what the charge is. So you can't enhance something that the, that the charge is. So. There's not going to be there's not going to be an obstruction, but like Trump is facing about 15 and a half to 20 years of state prison just on the uh, obstruction counts alone uh, for the uh, national defense uh, information, which is the espionage cases, which are count one through 31. The other cases are the um, excuse me. Those are, those are the espionage cases. The obstruction charges are a little bit less time. Those are like six years. Right. So six, to seven years. Now, federal Sentencing guidelines are recommended guidelines. They're not mandatory. So you're absolutely correct. They're not mandatory. However, Supreme Court precedent dictates that when a judge deviates uh, from uh, on a downward um, downward from uh, from the guidelines, they have to have a basis for doing so, and it has to be a uh, it has to be a accepted basis. She can't say, "Well, he's a former president of the United States, so I'm not going to give him any jail time." That's not sufficient. There has to be reasons uh, for not any jail time because there, as we go along in the trial, there's certain credits that defendants get. Like early, um, a defendant will get with no with no jail time, or excuse me, no priors, um, no priors. They get a, they get a benefit, um, and they get a credit for it or a downward departure from what is maximum, and also they get a uh, early disposition as well. So if he w- were willing to accept a um, accept. Uh, responsibility for what he did and plead guilty. He's never going to um, do That would it. be. He probably, but it, but an attorney, any attorney that he hires is going to have to go over that with him and say, "Hey, look, this is like these charges are damning, man. Like you know, your your rhetoric that you're putting out there is not going to be accepted into, you know, it's not going to be it's not going to be a defense if you even testify to it. Number one, number two, you're you're not going to be able to testify. So anything about declassification or what you think about, you know, that you think you had the right to take the records, I'm not putting you on the stand because there's so much impeachment evidence against you that putting you on the stand would be the worst thing I ever did. So, and no one else can testify as to what you did or what you said, right? They can testify to what you did in front of them physically. They can't testify to what you said. So everybody on TV that's saying Trump declassified this and he could do so just by his thought. Well, no one else can testify to that except for Trump because Jim Jordan can't because it's hearsay. And the, no prosecution in their right mind will let someone get up on the stand and say, Trump told me he declassified the information. Well, that's that's hearsay. And there's no exception that covers that unless it's something that, you know, why you did what you did. Well, because Trump said he declassified information. Now, Nada could do that, maybe, um, as I'm thinking out the scenario. Um but that surely would be uh, countered with all the video, uh, the video and audio we have of Trump saying how he can't do it, and also one of the last well, and he that did. he and that he didn't do it. <laughs> well, and because that, and that there's and, evidence he, that he, he he knows that he didn't do it, and and he didn't do it, and also one of the last acts he did as president, which is actually pretty damning, is that he declassified formally um, um, the part of the the. Uh, FBI investigation into his uh, Russia collusion ties that you know Mueller found 
Oh, what hurricane? Uh, I forgot. It's, it's hurricane something. Hurricane Spitfire or something like that. Um, so he declassified that formally, and it was like an actual. There's an actual form for it. If you look, if you look it up, Trump declassifies. I think it's called Spitfire Hurricane or something like some kind of hurricane thing. Um, he declassified it right like the day of uh, Biden or the day before Biden got a, um, um, a sworn into office. Trump's last thing to do as president was a declassification memo. So he knows how to declassify documents. Uh, and so but he's the only person that can testify to it. No one else can do so because it'll be hearsay. So that 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 information is not going to be. And it doesn't even matter because espionage charges don't require classification. It's just a matter of whether it's national defense information. And remember, all these people talking about the presidential record act, whether they're lawyers or not. And some, sometimes I'm like, I'm calling the question some of the lawyers. Like, did you actually like? Are you serious? Or are you just trying to do propaganda? Because the presidential records act um, discerns between personal property of the president, meaning those things that are created by a president or his executive staff that are non-public and private. Um, like, for instance. Clinton's audio tapes where Taylor Branch, who wrote Parting the Waters about Martin Luther King, um, and I read that too. That was like, it's a big ass thick book too. That's the thickest book I ever read. Um, hated that. And uh, Farrah wants to chime in too. She's like talking as well uh, with me. So Farrah is actually uh, concurring with me right now, my daughter Farrah. Um, so Taylor, so when Clinton uh, was, was recording his memoirs, uh, the Judicial Watch, that conservative uh, think tank that tries to sue like, you know, the liberals all the time. Um, they try to own the libs. <laughs> um, they tried to sue for those audio tapes in, the, in NARA. And the Supreme Court said uh, that, that those were personal because they weren't meant for, Clinton created them for his own personal private use. Now, the difference between that, Navy versus Egan, some of the cases they're, they're, trying, to, they're trying to bring it across, is that the documents that Trump has, the 31 documents that are in his trial, aren't created by Trump. These are documents that concern nuclear capabilities of United States and other countries, spy satellite information, and war plans, not only for invading another country, but defending our own country, how we would do it. You can't, there's no reason anybody should have these documents outside of who is supposed to see these documents, some of which... As, as I are identified in the indictment are specific for eyes only. There's, there's like a document that they have there that only can be seen by top level uh, intelligence officials in five yeah, countries. Like five, eyes. five eyes. And, and that, you know, I, I just can't, that's the part that blows me away. Those, there were multiple documents like that. So his, um, greed um, and his selfishness has put our men and women um, in um, our servicemen and women in danger, our national security. And the fact that these people, you know, keep clamoring about being patriots and caring about it. They listen to that document. That man, he not just people who are already out there, but he has damaged the potential for other intelligence agencies to um, further, um, you know, acquire um, intel assets like, you know, people, real, um, you know, assets that, um, you know, spies, basically. Who is going to want to work for the, um, you know, American government and spy on them uh, when they know that there is a, uh, we had a president 
who was willing to put them out there to expose them and their uh, processes and, um, you know, potentially have them and or their families put at risk. He has made it so difficult and it just um, I can't even begin to express how angry it makes me and the people who support him, especially those that are lawmakers or who who have ever served in the military because I used to get so angry. Like those are two of the things that angered me the most about all the crazy things that he did, but how um, just his uh, carelessness and speaking about the military um, activities and things, how while he was in office, put people's lives in danger in real time constantly. And then how he denigrated those who had died, who had made the ultimate sacrifice. So these lawmakers who are still, you know, supporting him, talking about pardoning him and all of these things, lawmakers, anyone, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. And it makes me think that you're very, uh, you're not, you know, um, a patriot. Uh, You don't care about America. And it's very uh, un-American and it's um, treacherous. He's he's a traitor, you know, and, you know, an insurrectionist and twice uh, impeached and twice indicted. He's a loser. (laughs) Right. And and with that in mind, imagine the um, imagine defense attorneys in the Southern District of Florida. Now. That want to represent him. But they they're with a firm that would lose business if they if they do. So they have to leave their firm. Like Todd Blanche had to leave his firm to represent Trump. Um, imagine like yourself, you're a defense attorney, uh, you're a federal defense attorney. So really, the, the the defendant, if you're a defense attorney, you've committed to the Constitution and making and holding the government accountable when they bring charges against anybody. So you're not really caring as Trump. But what if like he's the last client you ever have because you representing him means no one will like you anymore. Basically, your, your family might not even like you anymore. The retainer that you would require for that to take care of yourself for the rest of your life is something that Trump will not want to pay for. So that's the challenge he's having is that the, the, the cost is up on representing Trump. Like, hey, look, I'll represent you, but like, this shit's going to cost $10 million, man. Like, you know, and, and you're about to lose anyway. But, it's gonna, but for me to give up my life, $10 Because I'm not, you know, because you're not going to make no, MAGA does not make any money. They just give money to like these stupid ass candidates because they stupid ass people. Right. And all of it's basically going to pay for all of Trump's attorneys <laughs> and his attorney's attorneys, um, you know. And then speaking of military, um, not I mean, that that just makes me so sad because, you know, in the military, yes, we're supposed to follow orders. But, you know, one of the first um, general orders is, you know, we follow lawful orders lawful orders. We do not follow unlawful orders. And the fact that he was so enamored uh, with his boss and his his station that he just blindly did what this man told him to do. And that's damning as well, because that's like the closing um, indictment, how, you know, he, he just lied. He was on the phone going back and forth, you know, like, let's hide them, let's, I need new uh, box tops, because I've written all over these. And then to stand up on that um, stand and lie and say, he, oh, I, I don't know, they just called me in. They're both, um, they're caught. And they know it. And the fact that they have 37 charges, that may, in order for him to get off, that means that 
Um, you know, some people might let him off on one or two, but they've got to do that. They've got to say not guilty 37 times. 37 and, and times. I'll just, and, and, I'll, and I'll just say this and close with this because I know we want to move on to other people. Um, so I want to hear other people too. Um, I, I don't think I don't think the dance is done with Nada. I think Nada's going to like turn against he, Trump. He once, he, once he realizes yes. how much he's going to mm-hmm. face, he's going to turn and then like, it, that's going to be it for Trump. I mean, it's going to be it because he will testify because you can, the prosecution can enter evidence of Trump's statements that he made. They can play videos and all like, I, hey, I took, yeah, I took these documents. They can play everything he's ever said. He can't play it for himself, though, because that's not a, that's not allowable by the hearsay rule. He has to testify as to what he said, or he has to testify, even if he testifies to what he said, it's still hearsay. He has to testify as to a substantial fact. The prosecution can, like, ask, you know, Nada, what did Trump tell you to do? And that information can come in. They can still give him a deal. The deal just didn't manifest in, in pretrial, so now the pressure's on. I don't think Nada want, like you said, D. I don't think Nada wants to go to jail for twenty years, which he will be. The conspiracy charge is up to twenty years in prison, and he will be the dude that does the jail time, even if Trump does. Exactly, doesn't. and I think that the lights have come on for him. I mean, you don't serve your country and and do all of this to go down with this stinking ship. I mean, you know, grab hold of the life jacket, man. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, and and that's that's my thought is like, don't let this dude do this to you because, um, you know, what what was that? Um, his, the ex-Trumper said everything Trump touches dies, and it's true. I mean, nothing good <laughs> ends with this your involvement with this man. Um, but I agree with you on that, Mark. I think that Nada will uh, eventually um, turn. So, um, who who did we have come up? I, uh, Dark, um, yes, Dark Garland. Thank you so much for joining us. So glad you came up. Thanks. Can you give me just a minute? I'm writing oh, sh- up my notes before I speak. Sure. No Thank problem. You. I'll put my hand up. Thank you. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I just have one one question. So I just want to make sure that I understand it. So he's, the former guy is definitely going to have to testify in this trial. Is that what no. I'm hearing? Because that's, okay, it's mm. not. It's not a given. That no, he, in order okay. for, go ahead, explain it to her, Mark. I'll, I'm not going to do the legal <laughs> In order for him to advance any of these arguments that these um, Republicans are making on TV that he had, Whatever he did, he, he declassified documents, which actually is not relevant. Um, or, you know, whatever he did, these are his personal items or, you know, he's covered by the president. Anything that anything they say he said or he did, he has to testify to that. He can't. No one else can testify to that and bring that and admit that evidence is hearsay. So he has to take the stand on his own behalf if he's if he wants these issues to be before a jury. Now, what he's doing to counter that is he's like. And him and the the GOP, uh, Joseph Goebbels Nazi propaganda campaign, they're putting out all this stuff that are lies. Like I just posted something today about um, this guy named Barnes. I don't even know who he is, but he's a he's a lawyer. He's posting stuff about the Presidential Act that's like actually not true. I mean, I assume he read the Presidential Records Act. It's about like discerning between personal and government property, and it mandates that the stuff you have during your presidency that you didn't come in with. That you, you know you can't leave with. That's our pro- that's government property. So that's all the, the presidential right. It doesn't the re- the reason why they did it is because of Nixon. 
Um, Nixon, they, that, that's the whole reason the Congress enacted the Presidential Records Act for transparency because of Nixon and, our, and him trying to hide his documents. And they're like, no, that's not your property. It's our property. So anyway, um, so yes, he has to testify on his own behalf to enter these these issues into into evidence. Now, now, how does whether he he declassified something work? It is it go it doesn't go to admissibility of the evidence of the thirty one documents. It goes to the weight that they're considered, though. Like the scary thing about the new clothes, if like you know Trump declassified them, if that becomes a fact, then it's not as scary anymore. But the fact that he didn't is hella scary, right? So as we talk about them, they're going to he's going to be talking more and more now about how he declassified the stuff to try to to try to, you know, get the jury to believe he did. Now, there's going to have to be a gag order because he can't say that and not testify. So he's going to have to not talk about this case. Um, and, and that's something that is I was very, wondering about very that big. as well. Yeah. That's but that's not going to happen big. at the arraignment, right? No, that's going to happen at pretrial, probably um, one of the pretrials, going to be several. The first pretrial conference is probably going to concern uh, SEPA and the classified information because the judge, whomever the judge is in the, in the Southern District of Florida, who's not, most of those judges are not used to hearing espionage cases like the D.C. judges are. So the first pretrial hearing is going to uh, have to be to educate the judge on, you know, how SEPA works and uh, how, you know, what the judge and also prepare the judge to make a ruling on what the what the uh, DOJ is going to have to do. Are they going to be able to redact uh, the, uh, are they going to turn over the documents by redaction or will they be able to summarize uh, what the document stands for? Um, and, and only one defense attorney is going to get a clearance. So only one defense attorney is going to get to see this stuff um, depending on how, how the rulings go. So that's going to be the first one. The second pretrial, or they might do it all in one pretrial, but that's going to be the first part. The second part is going to be you know the timeline, the the trial the trial time discovery, uh, when everything has to be done. Obviously, discovery is going to have to discovery means turning over information from the prosecution. It has to go to the defense. It's a it's a it's a constitutional right, and so that's going to be a big part of of the first part of the case. When does everything have to be turned over, and what is going to be turned over? These are appealable. You know, the the defense is not going to be like, yeah, okay, that's that sounds cool. They're going to want all the information. Uh, what they can show to Trump is going to be, you know, crucial. There's going to have to be some peremptory rulings about that, about what Trump is going to be able to see um, as far as, I mean, he's, you know, he, he's already seen, but he cannot, he's not going to be able to talk about it in public. So that's going to be, there's going to be a gag order for sure with regard to the classified information and the nature yeah, of it. Yeah, and he's, he's campaigning um, too, so you know they're going to have to shut him down because he was already um, speaking and uh, he's decided that uh, he's not going to call Crooked Hiller. He's not going to give her the moniker. Now he's going to pass it on to Joe. So they're, they're working hard to change the narrative and he's going to incorporate this whole trial into his, um, camp- his stump speeches. So... Um, yeah, I think that um, there is definitely going to have to be some gag orders put in place on him. And, you know, he's probably not going to abide by them. So that's going to get interesting, too, because, you know, he doesn't listen to his lawyers. Uh, it's doubtful he's going to even, you know, they're going to have to tie that man up and put tape over his mouth. It's just going to get interesting. Even the boring parts, he will make interesting because 
you know, like he has used his lawyers basically to, you know, in that process to to get information like in with hiding those documents and, you know, trying to work around them. So he's just slimy. <laughs> it's just slimy. And at this point, everyone um, is getting a good glimpse of how slimy he is. So uh, thanks so much, Mark. Um, I am so glad that you're here to, you know, address these questions. Um, Absolutely. Me too. My goodness. <laughs> okay. So up next, we have uh, Dark Garland and Stephen, who's come up. I haven't heard his voice in a while. Looking forward to hearing from you as well. So thank you, Dark Garland. Uh, you're next. And then Stephen. Good morning. Thank you, Dee, for arranging this fantastic panel of uh, folks that are chiming in and speaking and lending their expertise and knowledge and time that they have spent in analyzing the indictment and all the months prior uh, to this fantastic indictment. Uh, may I say happy continued indictment week to everyone here yes. today. I'm, I don't know about, I don't know about y'all, but I'm going to, I'm going to continue to celebrate until I, I don't, I don't have an end date. Like this isn't even indictment week. This is indictment month, indictment year. June has turned into just this, uh, I think it was either uh, Renee or, or Tiff, one of the two had mentioned about uh, how this has been a month of karma for uh, many. And uh, so I just wanted to, to mention that. Um, you know, it seems pretty obvious that our right-wing politicians have uh, an autocratic addiction, right? They are addicted to having this singular source of authority, the singular source leader there is no shared governance there's no shared leadership in their platform or their mind or their policies and um d had posted something i think it was yesterday and and i chimed in about how um you know how taken aback we both were at the the brazen acts by those that were involved in this case and it seems to be that um, those that were involved or enabled this to happen are certainly attaching themselves to this full autocratic fascist um, movement going forward. And we know that 10 House representatives um, had, had um, participated in, in some level in the January 6th um, insurrection that they had been in contact uh, via text or by phone. Uh, with the former president, we know that there's nine known pardon seekers uh, that we currently know of. And it seems to be, uh, I'm sure this is evident to uh, lots of folks and not just myself, it seems to be that this, the current defensive TV talk that we see from these nine House Republicans, um, that they're auditioning for a lead like a lead role in this authoritative regime play. Like they, they really fully, in my, in my, it's just my perspective. They really thought that this 2020 election was going to be successful for Trump. And when, when I look back at their platform and their, their um, pre-election narrative, everything was this, this authoritative addiction talk. Uh, nothing was policy. There, there was really nothing of substance that was going to help people. It was all about revenge, right? And the victimization of the Republican Party. And when I see when I see them on on the news or 
in their social media posts or anything concerning Trump right now, they it feels to me like they're still auditioning for this authoritative regime. And they're trying to line themselves. I mean, it's just reminiscent of the of a, of this Nazi history uh, that, thankfully, most of us didn't live through, but that we that we know of and can avoid if we're smart and careful and conscious um, and think critically and, and and are critical about the things that we're seeing in front of us. And if we're not careful about how who we're listening to in their analysis of this, um, um, of this indictment case. So I am, I'm curious to see um, if those um, with some level of security clearance, you know, and possibly those are several GOP house members. I'm curious to see those that have clearance or that are in Congress who visited Mar-a-Lago since January 20th, 2021, and were shown or saw those documents, what legal issues they might face if they did not report that those classified documents were in their vision, if they were shared those documents, um, either of the sort. So if anybody wants to respond or chime in on their thoughts, I'd appreciate it. And thanks for allowing me to come up. Well, thank you. That is a very interesting scenario. And um, I'll allow anyone who's up here on the stage to speak to it if they would like. Um, I think that is um, certainly a possibility. And in part, uh, some of the allegiance that many of them have is because um, they're caught up in this criminal um, cabal web as well, you know, and certainly I have no idea what they have on Lindsay, but the pretzel he has made himself into, um, you know, gosh, it, it, it must be awful. You know, I just, I just can't imagine someone <laughs> surrendering <laughs> their character, you know, what little bit they have, unless maybe this was the reveal, you know, maybe this is who he was all along. Um, but it's, Real, real quick, D, real, real quick, D, I, I think um, Dark Garland just shared an article, which is actually, we just, I just talked about this. You have to get permission. It's not enough that you're a lawyer. You have to get permission in the South District of Florida to appear before their courts. And apparently, whomever Trump hired either didn't know or I don't know. They, they don't, I, I, you have to assume they're dumb. So like, they didn't. And the Southern District of Florida had to write them a letter that you have to like actually uh, file an application to uh, appear here. And you can't just appear pro hack BJ and say anything to us. You oh need, my uh, God. Local counsel to do so. Oh my God. So, so everybody, everybody check out what Dar Garland just posted. It's actually hilarious because that's how Trump's defense is starting. Not knowing the rules. The, the clown car. Oh, defense. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It, it's what the same time you were posting that I, actually dm that i just dm that to mark because i'm like are i mean are they this is it possible that they are this dumb or is this a delay tag like sometimes people are so stupid you're like you could you have you, this has to be yeah yeah because you cannot be this dumb for real. Right. and they are which is like 
you know, one thing that we've been talking about, one thing that Marcus mentioned and so many other attorneys have mentioned is that jury selection is really going to be very important for this case. And so if if Trump's legal team doesn't even know these very simple things, right, like if they truly are not intentionally dumb, imagine, imagine Jack's team like just wiping the floor with them during jury running selection. running it's, just, it's like it's almost not even fair running you know? circles around them it's it's like it's yeah i'm starting to think that judge cannon was was appointed to this case by the universe to like try to balance i that that has <laughs> truly renee that has kind of been my thought all along is like wouldn't it be just great karma if um she's the one whose court ends up convicting him i love to think about things like that no straight up i um it's one of the things i said in my thread that either i don't want her on this case and that's still my preference um or let her karma for being a bogus trump appointee be that she actually has to do her job that would be wonderful karma for her and hopefully would be a lesson to all of his other appointees because you know they've been out of control you know there was the judge up in new york who kind of was a little suspect as well but no one has gone as far as she has and i think that she you know she that would be perfect karma for her and not just because she was appointed by trump because that doesn't inherently make her unfit Right. Just because she was appointed by him, it just means that her her views and her her perspective and, you know, is is probably awful, you know, just in terms of ideology. But what she did for him, it would be karma for all of the things that she did in that first case Um, and that how she abused that and, and abused her her power in the situation in order to to really obstruct i i I mean you know leaving out evidence and stuff and that's why this that's my main concern in this is just i don't trust her not to do that um but to go back to the other folks who may be complicit every single interview that we've seen lindsey graham in for the last several years he's either been crying or yelling or both and not just interviews but at hearings i know you know i just so it's every time. And so I, I really do think that he's in trouble in Georgia. Now, I don't know that he's going to be charged with something, but I do think that he is in trouble. And I think that um, Trump is the kind of guy who he doesn't make friends. You know, he he makes deals with people. So there was a, a, a governor on the East Coast. I forget her name, maybe Jersey, but she said that one time they were having a casual conversation. Well, she thought it was casual while he was president. And he was like, yeah, you know, um, yeah, you know, your son was like caught doing something like at prom and almost got charged. Like he just totally brought that up. And she, it almost is like that's how he talks to people. He does kind of this, like, like a mob boss, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, hey, nice you know, nice job you got here. Be shame if something happened to it. Like, that's how he talks to people. And I really feel like he in some way threatened Lindsay and Lindsay is is out for the count. I think Jim Jordan is caught up in complicity. I think the really the crazies, like the true believers, I do think are are swept up in this in this somehow not necessarily what happened um, with documents or or maybe even so much January 6th so a few of them are but they're just they're all kind of a lot of them are caught up in what he's doing Marjorie Taylor Greene is is 
a special case because she's not only a true believer, she is one of the dumbest people that could ever be elected to Congress. She just, I just responded. <clears throat> she just went on the House floor and basically, <laughs> basically said that in a speech that she wants to announce that she's writing an appropriations writer to defund Jack Smith's special counsel. <laughs> That it's like literally his team, and I just retweeted, and I'm like, "Girl, we would crowdfund for this, uh, def- this this trial if we had to. Like, if you don't go sit down somewhere, <laughs> you would think she stopped talking. She admitted to like breaking the law on national television. Exactly. Like I said, she's caught up. It's just a matter of time for her because she came up there on the crazy wave and that is the one that's going to take her out because they were emboldened with Trump in office and they thought that crazy, they could ride it all the way out. And some of them still are. But, you know, the train has come to a crashing halt and all those that are on. Uh, they're going to be collateral damage. And she's going to be one. She's just dumb. Like you said, Renee, she'll go down with the ship. Um, I thought it was funny um, that people were posting a meme about her being kind of snubbed by Trump when he got off the plane. And, you know, I didn't kind of buy into it, the whole thing, because that was so. Yeah. But, you know, they did cut away. So I don't know, because I listened to his crazy speech, and it's very rare. It's probably the first time I've listened to him. Um, that long um, since he was out of office. But I just was curious as to what he was going to be saying. So I listened. And you guys know I don't, you know, I don't do that uh, a lot with him. But uh, he did call her out. He he called out a lot of them. And uh, I was listening to those names because those are the ones that are still, you know, uh, caping for him and, and running uh, with him. And, um, you know, like, we still don't know who placed that bomb at those, uh, the RNC and the DNC. And, and no, I think we do. I'm just joking. Um, hey, hey, so, hey, so real quick, real quick, if you read the letter from Angela Noble, who's the court administrator, clerk of the court, it's like literally she has to treat them like they're kidney gardeners. <laughs> like, for real, oh, it's yeah. like embarrassing. She says, look, you have, you, we don't, Add secondary email addresses for ProHack VJ attorneys. ProHack VJ attorneys should instruct their local counsel to add secondary email addresses to the local counties, uh, your CMECF account. Like she's literally like instructing them uh, on what to do. The because basics. Normally they'd be like, you know, no, reject it and just not say nothing. But this case is obviously pretty big. So it's literally an instructive email to like some dumbasses that didn't know what the hell they were doing and wanted to do. Thought they because they were Florida attorneys or or they've appeared in federal court before, they can just appear in this federal court, which everybody knows you cannot do. That's what we just talked about. I said you have to you have to like you know apply and like ask for permission to appear in Southern District of Florida. I thought that was the problem, but apparently the problem is not that. The problem is that they're too dumb to know. And there you have it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mark, Renee. I'm going to give Stephen an opportunity to uh, chime in here, ask questions, or, you know, uh, make uh, some new contributions or revelations. Hi, Stephen. Hello, good people. Thank you, Dee and Soul Sister, for the space. And uh, always so informative and good to be in this community. Um, and thank you for bringing me up. Uh, I got to tell you, this is a, it's a lot that's coming, right? Um, and I'm just wondering how we're going to handle all this. 
I'm thinking about the people who will be 18 by the next presidential election. It's going to be half their life and pretty much all of their, like, you know, rational thinking life that has been the Trump era. There has been so much effing around from people in power, so much um, beyond the pale behavior from the supposed adults running the country, so much law breaking that this is the season of finding out. And I think it's for them, you know, because it's going to be very easy for them to become disillusioned and, you know, post-truth as, uh, as voters, as citizens. So I think it's so important that we, we stick to it and, um, and hold these miscreants accountable. And so um, I have to admit, my first reaction to seeing the indictment news last week was, you know, I was all excited. Once I started reading, I was disappointed. It's like, so this is it? Like, he's, he held on to documents and didn't give them back? Like, what about the $2 billion to, to Jared? What about the revelation of um, human intelligence identities that with all these people, you know, getting killed in foreign countries that has to be related? Like, that's not a coincidence. And of course, what about the January 6th? I know that's in the pipeline, but thinking about all these people who have been tweeted about, and you guys have been talking about, who are in Congress now, who are part of it. And I, you know, I was disappointed that this is it. Like, I, I know more stuff's coming, but I'm impatient, you know, and I, and I know we can't be impatient. And this group helps me to be patient and know that with persistence, the system can work. And I think that Jack and others, whoever involved, are actually brilliant to, to just start with these 38 or whatever it is indictments because, boy, they are already egregious and serious. And if we stop there and follow the process, he's done for life, right? If the process Right, just works. think of this, I feel like it's kind of a, a wake-up call. Him being found guilty uh, is kind of like, uh, y'all better watch out, hold up, you know? But I agree, this is only just the beginning, but we need some justice somewhere. And whoever can break through that shell and get it, um, I'm all for it. We have multiple people who are working on it. And that's how I've always believed that that will be his demise. It's not like one thing, but with this guy, it's, um, it's I think, um, all of these things coming at him at once and him having, you know, kind of cycled through um, a lot of good attorneys and uh, created a reputation that, you know, this this is not a civil uh, case. You know, this is not Stormy Daniels. This is federal. This is espionage. You know, this is uh, the kitty hour. The kitty hour is over. So, um, yeah. And um, I think that, uh, I, I hear you, I, I, this is just one area that he's being held to account. But there are, there's so much, there's so much, and we'll never be able to, like there's not enough jails, enough time to fully pay <laughs> for, you know, uh, what yeah. he's done. But, you know, just um, a little this. But, but I've been encouraged, you know, it, it, I'm not, I'm not, worried at this point that oh it's just this one thing because I, I do know there's more coming but I think what is so brilliant is that these charges are just the tip of the iceberg we know that and yet they are so serious and egregious that the defenders of this guy have had to come out and play their hand so they're out there spilling all their nonsense and lies and 
So, you know, when the, when the even bigger charges come out, we know exactly what they're going to say. They're going to try to deflect. They're going to pull Hillary, Hunter Biden's laptop, and all the stuff that we've been hearing about. And, well, it's not a big deal, and the law says he can do it. So um, I just think it's, it's, uh, the timing is, is just right. You know, it's not too close to the election that they can throw that at, at us. And it's nice to see the accountability in the season of finding out happening. So that's it. And I just was wondering what, what um, folks thought about what the scope of this was. You know, what is the big picture? You know, this is what presumably President Ford worried about. He didn't want to get into this. He didn't want to hold Nixon accountable and have the country go through the, the you know, he wanted to heal. And we know that didn't work because it just empowered people like Trump and Roy Cohen and the whole rest of them. Exactly. And, and, and it, but what's the, what's the path here? Like, what, what do you see as the big picture? You know, like, this could go on for five years, more investigations, because there's so much to unravel. Like, at what point do you think justice is satisfied? Well, That's all I want to say. I, I say no, we don't no, stop to, uh, as long as we know there are some crimes and some criminals out there. Um, I say we keep going. You know, like um, uh, it may be a decade before some of these people actually, you know, receive accountability. But that's okay. I'll hang on. You know, we just have to keep um, hammering away at them wherever we can. I mean, they started when before he left office, they tried indictment. You know, uh, he was able to squirm out of that. But, you know, they keep because I feel like it's an it's an, an, an accumulation over time and that um, some sane people in this country will hear and read that indictment. They will see the evidence unfold and they will not be able to close their eyes to it. There are is a certain sect who there is nothing that you can show them or tell them that they will believe because they're so tied in to the narrative. And trust me, they are going to be working hard on their narrative spin and trust and believe that Hunter is one of them. They start, that's why the pics and all of that stuff started right after immediately. And also I I listened to him. Um, That's where he's trying to take the narrative. He's also trying to take the narrative to President Biden. Biden and try to make uh, their situations similar. They're nowhere close. Okay, we're taught most of his charges result from obstruction and not the act of actually taking the documents. And, you know, so they're they're not close, but it doesn't stop them from creating that narrative that um, the Justice Department is targeting him. He's it's unfair. Joe Biden is doing it. All of these things. And um, I mean, this is the same thing that he has always done and he will continue to do until, you know, he he can't talk anymore even after he's found guilty he will still like like when he lost the election he's not gonna let it go and some of them won't either uh, but it doesn't stop us from continuing to work um, in whatever venues and areas we can to hold people accountable to keep working the way that we are here having conversations doing what we need to do during election time to actually vote sane politicians in office and 
it's it's like um, kind of like deprogramming the country is what we're going to have to do because you spoke about how um, we have a whole generation that has been brought up with this um, nonsense and um, this kind of character and they're working to make sure that more generations follow because they've taken over the school systems and those types of things uh, trying to get um, their narrative pushed in there so it's just it, you know it's what I read John Lewis at the end of the space it's a you know the struggle um, is a lifetime struggle um, but I, I feel like we can start um, you know where we start and um, that's how we begin to make change it's never uh, going to be all of a sudden it's a slow gradual and then we'll have inflection points where we can realize the efforts um, you know the the fruits of our efforts but we just have to keep working and being aware, which is what makes this community so awesome, is that, you know, we come together. We're not just like, you know, some of his, those Trumplicans, they are just zero focused in on this. This is going to have their attention, but there are other things going on and we're all going to have to be aware of them and paying attention because trust and believe in those red states and, and the GOP trifectas, they will continue um, pushing their, as Garland said, their authoritarian behavior because that is exactly what they want. Trump gave them and, and will continue to deliver what they want. They just don't like the package. They don't like the package. So thank you so much, Stephen. Uh, um, I just wanted before mm -hmm. Stephen gets away from the mic, um, he published, he was published in uh, Dear Dean. Um, he published an essay on advocacy, and um, I just want to highlight that. I don't know if you want to speak to it at all, but um, congratulations, and we're so proud of you, and thank you so much for for doing the work. Thank you. Yeah, I, I could just say a few quick words because the, the follow-up is interesting. Um, the essay was about school funding and um, the hidden part of school funding, which is parent fundraising. So there's a lot of movements around this country in different states to equalize funding and not base it just on real estate taxes, although that's still the case in many places. So the wealthier have higher, you know, better funding for their schools. But in places like New York City, you've got where I live, um, a school has raised $2 million for, from their PTA for one year. And other schools have zero for obvious reasons. Parents don't have time, resources. So the essay just said, what do we do about this? You know, and there's even a state law about transparency that isn't being followed. The city's supposed to release PTA fundraising numbers year to year. And they haven't done that since 2019. So what's going on? And uh, I just wanted to add the, the backlash that I got in the little community from the, the Karens uh, who are involved in parent fundraising at the school my daughters go to which is, by New York City standards, not a wealthy community, but for the district we're in, it stands out. So there is a lot of effort and there is a lot of fundraising. And they were vicious. I mean, voted me off the PTA, PTA board. Uh, how could you do this? You're against us. You know, all I do is ask questions. So, you know, here in blue New York, uh, it's the white liberals Malcolm X warned us about. Uh, I'm one of them, too. So I'm always watching myself questioning myself and taking a back seat to listen to black voices when it comes to black communities and Hispanic voices, which is the majority of students in, in our school. And um, this, it's here. It's everywhere. So that's it. And you can read the piece in my uh, pin tweet.
Thank you so much, Stephen, and I definitely will. I appreciate that. But um, yeah, and I, I thank you for what you just said, just listening to the voices of those in your community. Um, I wish that more of mainstream media did that. Um, so thanks again for joining us today. Uh, Renee popped her hand up and Joseph is back and I think he has some good news for us. And um, we have a new speaker who has joined us, uh, Dre Day. Um, I'm going to let him go after that. So um, Renee, Joseph, Dre Day, <laughs> thanks for joining us today. Um, okay. Hello. Hey, Hello. is it me or, or I'm sorry. What's the order? It, it's you. Uh, um, I'm sorry, Dre. Um, you um, can you keep your mic muted? Um, I'll let you know when um, it's your turn. You're it's Renee, Joseph, and then you. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Go, go ahead, ahead, Renee. Okay. Cool. Uh, no worries. I uh, I just kind of wanted to to respond to Stephen a bit and just say that um, you know, it's it is it can be infuriating how slow justice is to catch up to some of this stuff. But if you look like historically, even like globally, when there's fallout from some sort of like massive, you know, societal wrong, it takes a long time usually for justice to catch up to all of the players. And this is a global crime syndicate. Like I have, I've been saying that for years and we have to keep reminding ourselves of that. This is not just, you know, mob activity in, in one local area. This is it's this a global truly crime, was a global crime And he's an idiot for running for president because all he did was put his, you know, he blew up his own spot, basically, you know. Um, but uh, it's going to take time. But the the good thing about what's happening is that, again, we ha remember that Jack Smith, he just started on this trial, like, six, seven months ago. And here we are. I mean, he started the investigation that long ago and here we are now. And honestly, we probably have Trump to thank for that a little bit because he has been so transparent about his crimes. Even to this day, like he just, he continues to incriminate himself that that has helped with the speed. It's like the intensity surrounding the things that he discloses, I think has helped with, with the speed because they don't have to really go digging a lot and his patterns are obvious. So there's a lot that you can deduce from, you know, what has been done. Like he's, he's, he's a really extreme uh, criminal, but he is a very, very predictable one. And he is just open with everything because his privilege kind of gets him into this, this, mind frame where you know no I, I should be able to do whatever I want that's that is literally the the his core I should be able to do whatever I want to do and I was president I already thought I could do whatever I wanted to do and then then they made me president so I really can do whatever that's that is literally his entire way of thinking about everything um so yeah it may take some time but but we are getting to it. We're getting to the thick of it. It's going to take a long time. It is discouraging to see members of our Congress, you know, um, who don't want to uphold the law. Right. Like, that's just crazy. But here we are. And eventually things will happen, um, but it will take time. And my thing about this, one of the reasons why I am so kind of invested in this this process is because. Again, I've said it before, with him, it's not even Republican, Democrat. 
he is because to me he's not a Republican or a Democrat. He's not even a politician. He's just somebody who a thinks grifter. that he should run the world. <laughs> like he doesn't care. It did, the party doesn't matter to him. He just used the Republican Party, just like he used racism and other tools and tactics to get the power. So it doesn't really matter. He doesn't care about those people. And he doesn't have any ideology. His only ideology is Trump is king. That's it. And so to me, it's like it's this is infecting our politics, but it's not political. But because of how he moved about and because of the very irresponsible and reckless things that he did in our government and to our institutions, we are democracy is like a bit of a laughing stock across the world. Like people know what it is and it's not that they don't completely respect it, but he has really uh, shown up the vulnerabilities in our system and not that they weren't already there, not that they wouldn't be there. He didn't create them, but he's really exposed them in a, in a way that a criminal can, you know, you build a house and, you know, you get a security system and then a criminal's like, this is where I can break into that house. And this is what I can do when I'm inside. And that's kind of what he did into a, a more extreme level than we've ever seen in the history of this country, in my personal and humble opinion. Um, so this process, this legal process that we have, it takes a very long time, but it is very important that it is moving forward and that it continues to move forward because we have to confirm the validity of our institutions now. We don't have a choice. And that's why my confidence in Jackson's team, you know, is high because I really believe that they believe that, right? I believe that they agree with that, that like, our institutions have to be verified again that, yeah, they can be corrupted because a lot of things can be corrupted, especially when people are involved, because people will corrupt anything, but that they are still valid. And we're going to we have to prove that they still work. Otherwise, Trump or not, the country's a joke. Democracy is a joke. Our institutions are a joke. And I don't believe that they are. I think that they're flawed, but I don't think that they don't work. It's just we're we're still infected. And that's the legal part of it. The other kind of human part of it is, again, a lot of these people that are aligned with him are very much they 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 have cult pattern ways of thinking. And so it takes a very long time okay, to rid that out of uh, out of the bloodstream. And so while we are handling it on one level legally, the kind of the, the country and the nation's psyche is still dealing with like just removing that from this. So regardless, even if legally this is handled in a couple of years, it's still going to take time for the intensity of, of all of the things that he incited goes away. It's still going to exist, the racism, the bigotry, all that stuff. Again, he didn't create these things, but he has he's he's added a, a level of intensity to them right now that's just going to take time. And, you know, I can be impatient as well, um, for real. <laughs> but, you know, at least we are here because, if, you know, a year or so ago, nobody would have thought that we would have gotten here. Um, and so I Big just, smarts. when I get impatient, I try to remind myself, yeah, I try to remind myself of, you know, you know, how far we've come and, and, and the things that have happened that people, you know, didn't think was going to happen, you know, just a short while ago. And sometimes that helps. And sometimes I'm still impatient, but, <laughs> but at least the train is out of the station. So that's all I wanted to say. Thank you so much. And you said it so beautifully. I uh, agree with everything um, that you said. Um, and just another note, uh, I want to keep continuing to add that Jack Smith, um, 
is um, the man for this job. Just remember, he was a prosecutor at The Hague, okay? The International <laughs> Court, <laughs> a criminal court, okay? You know, he's used to prosecuting international criminals. He was also a prosecutor here in the United States for public integrity. He's used to prosecuting uh, high-profile individuals. He is um, the attorney who, uh, he's the prosecutor who um, charged um, John Edwards. Okay, so, um, you know, when they tried to talk about him, you know, being, you know, pro-Democrat or whatever, there is plenty of evidence out there to, to show that, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, but this narrative that they're building, they're invested in it, so they're going to keep saying it. But I do have um, a lot of faith and trust in um, his skills and his ability, and we're just going to have to let it um, play out. Um, but, um, you know, continue to do the work in the venues that we know we need to, because, you know, while this case is, is playing out, Elections are going on all across the country. In fact, you guys remember the Tennessee Three and the Justins here. Their special election is at the end of this month, okay? Uh, we have a mayoral election that's coming up here in August. And I know this is true uh, for cities uh, and states around the country. And we still have to pay attention uh, to those things because, you know, their goal, again, like I said, it is truly for them to to rule. Um, in fact, I, you know, I've told you the Turning Point USA, uh, one of the um, most influential political um, organizations that the RNC has, um, has um, targeted uh, the faith community. So, and um, they, you know, they want to, you know, just erase the separation of church and state for us and, um, you know, take us to a theocracy, uh, some type of authoritarian rule. So they're not going to be resting while this is going on either, because I think that they're afraid um, that uh, if everyone was truly able to vote uh, freely, uh, they would not even hold the reins of power that they currently hold. So you can believe that because they do hold them, no matter how they got them, they are going to run every bit of um, their game and agenda. They're going to push it to the hilt. But I am happy that now they are starting to see that, you know, you just can't break the law, do anything that you want and expect there not to be consequences like there is um, a day of consequences, a season of consequence, and they have entered it. So I'm happy about that. And with that, I am going to uh, let Joseph go next and then our uh, new guest, Dre. And so glad he came. And Olet Ali has come up and I'm so glad that she's joined us too. Um, she hasn't been able to be here in a while. So I'm looking forward to hearing from her. Um, Joseph, Dre, and then Ali. Hi again, Ms. D. Uh, I just kind of want to... Uh, fill you in on I, I had my interview with the reporter from the Orange County Register about my uh, involvement with Orange County's LGBT community so real quickly so she just um, asked me how long I've lived in the county uh, how I became 
politically involved in the county. And I, I, I told her that it was actually when the pandemic hit, when I was still living in uh, Los Angeles County, but working in Orange County, uh, is when um, Michelle Steele was the head of the Orange County Board of Supervisors. And she, you know, when the pandemic hit, she did the whole uh, anti-mask uh, campaign, which uh, uh, as a result made my work life for most of 2020 very difficult. Um, and so that's why, I, that's when I began campaigning against her. And, uh, you know, unfortunately she got elected to Congress in 2020 and got reelected in 2022. Um, but uh, so, you know, she asked me my perceptions on diversity in the county, uh, if uh, if I feel safe where I live and um, uh, also like kind of like, you know, political like aspirations, like what do I feel, you know, for about the county? And I and I mentioned that, you know, my my aspiration is to really have a clean slate of Democrats representing us at both the county and the the federal level and i did make it clear that i'm putting you know i did put michelle Steele and young kim on notice that they are and i flat out said they are dangers to the lgbt community in the county and i'm going to work to make sure that they are voted out of office so i i hope that uh, she, the reporter prints those words because um the orange county register is actually uh, it's a kind of a Republican friendly newspaper. So uh, I am hoping that uh, Michelle Steele and Young Kim see those words if they are published, because I'm putting them on notice that they are not going to harm uh, the LGBT community or anyone else in in Orange County with their their policies. Um, so uh, hopefully uh I'm hoping that some of the right people will see the, <laughs> this article and uh, maybe there might be uh, further, uh, um, you know, something further down the road. But, yeah, I've definitely uh, definitely made it clear that I care about my community and uh, and making it a, uh, a better place for us. So that's all I had to say uh, when it uh, comes out. I will uh, certainly let you know. So thank you, Ms. D. Well, thank you. And again, uh, I am uh, looking forward to seeing it, you sharing it with us so we can amplify it. And I do hope that she uh, includes those words and that those candidates see it. They need to know. Uh, they all need to be put on notice that they can no longer uh, sit and hold the reins of power and uh, rule over their constituents without regard for you know, what is good uh, for them, because, you know, they are supposed to be representing their entire community, but some of them uh, choose to ignore, um, you know, parts of their constituency, and some of them are actually uh, participating in direct harm to demographics of their community, and that should not be, and no lawmaker should be able to hold office and do that. Um, so thank you so much, Joseph. And up next, I am looking forward to hearing from Allie. How are you? How are things in Paris? <laughs> Hi, it is springtime in Paris. Well, oh, Allie, I'm so summer. sorry. Forgive me. Um, hang on. Can you hold that a moment? Uh, we have a new speaker, oh, yes. and I forgot him because he moved yes, <laughs> when sorry. we brought you up. Uh, Dre, thank you for being here. Apologize, and thank you for your patience. So looking forward to hearing from you. Well, hello, B. How are you? Great, today? thank you. 
Okay, that's fantastic. You know, you could continue with Allie. I don't, I don't mean to break that up. <laughs> no, you're fine. Allie is an old friend, and um, so um, she understands. And I didn't want you to feel unwelcome uh, and and forget you. But she knows how they these avatars move around on the screen. So I just I wanted to uh, give you an opportunity, and I knew that Renee had raised her hand up and that she could kind of. Um, address some of Stephen's concerns. So go ahead. Looking forward to hearing for you, from you. And we appreciate you joining our, our community and our conversation today. Well, well thank you so much. Um, I started, started, I only like started listening to you guys maybe like, um, I want to say a week ago. <laughs> so it's not like I've been a long time listener, but I really liked what I heard. And um, just recently have I really gotten involved and gotten involved in these, um, these little chat circles. So this is something that um, I uh, was looking forward to doing, joining uh, you guys, and um, I'm here. So um, I wanted to just piggyback on a few things. I think that there were some things said by some people right before me that stole some of my thunder totally. But I think one thing we have yeah, to do that will happen talk a about lot in these spaces. Uh, <laughs> Renee, Renee is an orator. Okay, so uh, we cannot we cannot stop that. Yeah, I think Renee is a, I think Renee is a mind reader. Okay. Okay, because she, she read my mind. I was like, I don't believe this. I was going to say that. But, but, but speak your truth. You the, well, yes, absolutely. I, I think that you have to take into context. And I want to talk about, I think mine goes more into um, how we have to keep and make sure we keep fighting. Like you said, we have to keep chunking, you know, chipping away. I don't care how long it takes. But also, let's not fall into despair. I think Many times when I see people on Twitter and you know, comments and things like that and other people I chat with on Twitter, there's a sense of despair a lot of times I see that it's um, rampant amongst many Dems, Dem voters. And I think that they have to understand the context of things, just like with Donald Trump. Have to understand he was under protection of President of the United States for how many years? <laughs> I mean... We just recently started investigations into him. This is not something that's been going on for five or six years. This is something that's new. And where Jack Smith is right now in relation to when he started is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Also, the despair from the standpoint of what's happening in certain states, but also taking away the bright spots, like what we saw what happened in the Wisconsin Supreme Court, State Supreme Court. What we saw happen in Michigan going, getting the trifecta. Uh, we have to take those victories and hold on to them and understand that, you know, this country is not quite what you think it is sometimes when you look at, when you look at a Fox News or a Newsmax. Understand that when you see a referendum, which was done in Kansas about a woman's right to abortion, and in Kansas is about as red as you can get. And what happened? They decided to keep abortion legal for women. So I think many times we don't hear the true voices of many people in red states and we assume that maybe they think a certain way when actually, no. Actually, what you have with the GOP, not only do they want to suppress the vote, but they want to suppress voices. And they want to suppress voices from their own party. Because don't think for one second, there aren't some Republican voters out there that have the same concerns that anybody else does. All these people, all these people ain't MAGA. They ain't MAGA. They are actually just regular citizens trying to live a normal life. They want the best things for the family and kids, yada, yada, yada. 
if you listen to Fox or some other way out station, you would think that every Republican voter is a certain way. That every Republican voter has literally got a Trump flag in front of the house and they got them Trump, you know, Trump team 2024 hats in the house. No, it's not like that. So we have to just take some solace in the fact that there's much more in common with Americans than we think, and that there are people that want to, you know, expose, create a divide, and then capitalize on that divide and keep that divide. Because one of the main things that I know for a fact with the Democratic Party is most Americans agree with our policies. Most Americans do. The average American does. Most Americans are different when it comes to certain issues. Just like when we come about the issue of Trump, these polls you said by Republicans saying, I don't think we really did anything wrong. Of course not, because they're looking at Fox News. They're not going to tell the whole story. But at the end of the day, when you get to some real meat and potato and bread and butter issues, bread and butter issues, there's a certain way that most Americans, I believe, feel about what they want. And at the end of the day, you know, people who highlight as a talking points for a 2024 campaign is what? Um, child mutilation and uh, trans, uh, trans people. I'm like, no, that's not what people are concerned about. And I think that we have to understand that we have the better message. And I think that the 2022 midterms, it's just handwriting on the wall what's going to happen in 2024. I agree. And thank you so much. And I am so glad that you joined us um, today and um, shared, I feel, some beautiful wisdom um, with us. And I think um, that it is uh, good. I read at the end of the space, you know, the uh, quote from John Lewis to um, not get lost in a sea of despair. Um, we have um, always had to get our wins um, in incremental ways. Um, I think that is the disservice that has been done by uh, some people in our own party on the left by making people think mm -hmm. that um, they can just instantaneously change laws and things and, and speak things without actually going through legislative processes. Um, and it has right. done our uh, young, you know, adults who are now coming into uh, the voting age um, a, a huge disservice. So we have a lot of work to do, which is why I have these conversations here, because we need to get people civically engaged, but we need them to be well informed um, with that engagement, because they do have a lot of young people, too. And unfortunately, they have, um, you know, brainwashed them with their narratives. That is what the work of the Turning Point USA has been. They they specifically mm -hmm. targeted uh, young people, colleges and high school campuses. They say they're on yep. over 2000, but, you know, actual counts say it's about um, you know, uh, 1300. And those campuses include not just comp, but high school um, campuses as well. Um, one of the uh, students from the Parkland shooting um, was actually a um, like um, the head of a chapter of TPSU. And so uh, having been brainwashed as he was um, in their ideology, um, he was one of the few students that fortunately he didn't get a lot of, you know, top billing and, and media play. 
but who was um, not like uh, not speaking up for gun control and those types of things. So they have worked really mm -hmm. hard. And that's why I keep talking about it. It's not the sensationalism of it that I want to bring attention to, but the way that it's working. Because you know what? In order for us to combat it, and so Sister and I were talking about this this morning, we're going to have to learn to work that way. Like we need community centers all around the country uh, to have yeah. uh, initiatives and, and uh, projects and things that they can get involved in because we can form these same types of groups um, and they can be funded or not, but we know that they're coming from a pure place, unlike, you know, Moms of Liberty and some of these others who are coming from purely chaos. So we can do this. And I think that, you know, us having the conversations, other people who have great spaces. And when the time comes about, we have other people who spearhead, um, you know, phone banking, campaigning initiatives, fundraising, you know, tip and, and just so many wonderful people and they get it. And, and we just all um, get on board and that's how we have to work. We have to work smart and we, um, in order to combat um, the enemy. And at this point I am calling them the enemy because they are an enemy to our democracy um, and uh, we yeah. have to know how they are working so that's my goal here um, when I share the things about um, the dark money the organizations and those people is to not only understand what they're doing but who is funding them to do what they're doing because they're absolutely being funded. And, you know, that people talk about, you know, Dems having dark money. They like to talk about Soros. You know, like if, if we can find some dark money donors to help support democracy, come on, bring it on. <laughs> you know? um, we have to get these people out by any means necessary. And they understand any means necessary much better than we do in some cases. So, again, thank you so much. It has been a joy um, to have you join yeah. our conversation today and I hope it will uh, it will be the first of many uh, times that you join us I, I just want to say Dre that um, you were a perfect follow-up to Renee um, you, you she didn't steal your thunder you added to um, the thunder that was brought to this conversation so thank you so much for coming up and thank you for um, being the one to remind us that you know, Twitter is just Twitter. It is not the full picture or scope of what is happening in uh, communities and homes across this country, and who they're supporting, and who, um, what, what their, what their ideologies are, and how they want to um, uh, fight for democracy and freedom. So, thank you for saying those things. Absolutely beautiful, so sister, I um, ditto. So up next, we've got Allie, and I am so glad to hear from you today, my dear. How are you? I'm okay, and it's really nice to touch base with everybody. I'm sorry it's been a bit of a rough spring for me, but I'm very uh, happy to join you from here. From the and actually, um, Andre, I just wanted to mention to you, I'm so pleased that you went before me because... I, I live overseas and I don't ha have to deal with the barrage of Fox News and all that stuff. And I can feel the weight that that is on other registered voters, U.S. voters who are in 
the clutches of, you know, having to hear that constant barrage of the, the U.S. media. So living overseas, I'm more free from that. And I'm often reminding people, remember, Biden and Harris won. You know, it's already happened. That election is done. We're on the second election now. Um, and uh, so that was a perfect thing. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um the other thing I just wanted to touch on and, and, and follow up on with Renee and Dee, um, as you guys had mentioned, it is actually, of course, as you know, the world is watching very closely. Um, this whole week, uh, friends have been calling from many different continents saying, what's going to happen now? And um, I must say that it's been so helpful to say, to remind people that um, Jack Smith was at The Hague. Uh, because that is widely respected throughout the world in most countries of the world that are fairly law-abiding countries. And um, the idea that the time that Garland was taking and whatever you know his role was versus now Jack Smith's role um, has been something that I've been a little bit able to explain to people uh, that now that we're in this prosecutorial phase and him being having the specific role and they understand that he is someone who has actually uh, prosecuted heads of state, world heads of state. And we have like Berlusconi who died today. If there was ever anyone who reminded me of Trump, it was Berlusconi. Um, so Berlusconi died today. And um, for Europe and for other continents, I was speaking with some friends in Latin America and also in in uh, Western Africa this morning, they, you know, the idea that are we going to be strong enough to deal with our corrupt president? Um, everyone, and including the French, you know, are very clear that there have been a number of corrupt presidents. And are we going to have a strong enough democracy to do that? And the idea it was, it was just like genius to put in somebody like uh, Smith, who has an international record of dealing with war criminals, with corrupt politicians, with corrupt heads of states, heads of state and on an international scale, um, and also dealing with our own internal criminals from both sides of the political spectrum or people who have done inappropriate things. So that is so reassuring on the world stage that that type of expertise is being put in. Um, and there's, again, a big sigh of like, I, we hope this goes well. We're rooting, you know, for America turn, to take, turn uh, away from fascism. Um, and I am often reminding people, just as you were mentioning, Andre, that the, that the actual number of people who voted for uh, Biden and Harris was more than the people who voted that Clinton won the popular vote. And, and Allie, um, that the vast when Trump was yeah. talking, he was lying again about that, as he always does, talking about, I got the most yeah. votes, I got the most votes. Lie. Right, <laughs> right, right. And I, I think one thing people don't quite understand over here is like our whole connection between uh, church and state, you know, how, how, uh, and, and there are a number of people here in our space who bring that off up, uh, up often, that uh, the effect of money coming in via churches and then becoming like dark money uh, siphons in ways that they are influencing politics and how that's been a long-term uh, project for many years, as you've pointed out, Dee, um, and many other people in the space have been following for a long time. 
that is kind of that is difficult for people over here in, or in other parts of the world to understand. It's kind of a, the idea that the idea that America was born on Puritanism, um, you know, when that those original forefathers wrote that Constitution, along with the rights of man that was written here in France after the French Revolution. Um, that stuff is all supposed to be free of religion. Um, but it still has a puritanical tinge to it that we see people see more outside the United States. And I think we see inside. We're used to dealing with people talking about religion and stuff. And that's just baffling to people in other parts of the world. So the idea that someone from The Hague, an experienced international uh, litigator who's been dealing with many different countries, heads of state, uh, is, is genius. And it's very reassuring to our international partners and um, going forward, uh, they're hoping the best for us, but it's, it's, you know, people are, you know, kind of on edge and watching to see how things will play out. So thank you for those of you who mentioned, Renee and Dee, you both mentioned that. And Andre, the idea of, you know, just the general tone is people overseas are very, hopeful that we will pull through this with the least amount of violence possible and with the least amount of it, you know, to be recovering our, continue recovering our democracy. And the, this administration, the Biden and Harris administration has been so effective um, that it is, you know, it's like majestuous, you know, it's amazingly how, how well it's gone. Um, and uh, with with so many things that needed to be cleaned up that are still needing to be cleaned up. So the world is watching and um, people like Jack Smith and those choices have been like genius moves. So just a few comments and lovely to see you guys. I hope everybody's doing OK. Well, it has been a joy to have you here. Uh, I know that, you know, we have spoken a little bit, but to have you here in this space speaking and sharing is really indeed a joy. And I hope things are going well for you. And I am always thankful for you to help uh, bring that geopolitical, um, you know, information to us and help us to understand how it all connects because it absolutely does. What happens here um, with us being one of, you know, supposedly the beacon of Western democracy, everyone is watching, you know, how we handle um, problems within our democracy. And um, we have people here who are certainly trying to destroy our democracy, but they are, make no mistake, they're exporting this behavior um, abroad, you know, to um, other places. Steve Bannon got kicked out of Italy, but he uh, went to um, a few other places. Turning Point USA has a, a UK chapter. Um, they have been um, in Africa. Yes, they do. Um, they have a Canadian chapter as well. So they are exporting their white supremacy and their um, authoritarian um, behavior and belief. And so we really need to pay attention because uh, Hitler wasn't uh, satisfied just with Germany either. So see the parallels there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Latin America as well. Um, there's a lot of money going into these, uh, what are basically under the, we could put them under the umbrella of evangelical 
um, both in Latin America and in the continent of Africa, there's huge surges of money coming in to fund supposed human, uh, you know, helpful projects, but they are couched in this political language of um, right uh, extremism and with to mixed together with religion, which is quite, it's very interesting to, to speak with some of my friends who live in Western Africa, for example, mainly Muslim areas, and they're being invaded by evangelicals. And where's the money coming from? You know, I mean, it, it's, it's quite interesting. Um, and uh, of course, Latin America is also a very, we saw in Brazil, you know, Latin America is also very big right. concern. So thanks right. so much. It's really great to join you guys again. And I hope everybody's well. Thank you, Allie. I appreciate that. Um, and um, good to have you here. And I hope you'll be hanging out with this more. And I hope things continue to um, go well and, and improve for you over there. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing from another voice I haven't heard in a while who has come up, Black Stem. So how are you this afternoon? Oh, hi there, Dee. I didn't realize that I had hit the speaker button. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Do you have something you would like to share? I invited you. So I, that's, I know that happens accidentally sometimes um, when people aren't able to. But I'm glad to have you here. Um, Oh, well, thank you. Um, I just wanted to commend the, commend everybody on the um, in the space today. I think it's been an excellent discussion. Um, I think also, too, it would be um, very good or the way I look at the world is um, where are we standing in history? And I think right now the u.s is standing at a probably a second most important point after the civil war um because we're at the crossroads um, we've said that for a few years now um that we're at the crossroads we said that when obama became president uh we said it when um trump became president but i don't think that our systems, our sense of integrity, our sense of honor, our sense of justice, our sense of community, our sense of decency, our sense of um, pure honesty has been tested to the point as it is now. Uh, there, there's a historian that's always on MSNBC, and I love him, but I can never John remember Meacham, his name. John Meacham, and he lives here in <laughs> Nashville. <laughs> John Meacham is a national gem. Um, he said something profound last week when the indictment, first the charges came out and everybody was saying it was seven, and then it grew to 37, and people were on different news channels and and it was like, you know, ha, 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 ho, 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 he, 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 um, you know, look at look at where Trump is, look at, you know. And John Meacham made a very important um, statement. He said, when you're living through historic times, you don't really realize how historic they are. And we are living in truly a historic time for the United States of America. 
I think that we as individuals have our own perspectives um, about how we feel about this, uh, about the situation. Some of us are saddened by what has happened because who would ever think that the highest office in the United States and practically the entire world would be brought so low um, and made to look so debased. Um, I think others of us are elated that the system is working the way it's supposed to, even though it's got holes in it galore, the system is still holding, holding intact. I think others are questioning uh, where do we go from here once we're done with this? Will we really have learned our lessons? Will we really be able to change our system for the better? Or will we just have another repeat of this, you know, um, a few years from now? So I think, and then there are other people who are filled with hate, who are just determined that this part of our, our time in history is going to be purely for their advantage and that they are going to do whatever it takes to hold on to whatever little sense of humanity they have left. So I, I think John Meacham said it very, very wisely that you don't realize how historic the times are when you're living through them. And I would just encourage everyone um, to just really stand back and think about what this means to you. What does this mean to you, having our president um, brought before the world as a potential criminal, a potential traitor, a potential, um, um, uh, you know, I don't know what words, more stronger words I could use, as a non-human, his behavior, I would question whether it's even human, you know, at this point. Um, I would encourage everyone to really stand back and think about this because we are at a crossroads. We are at a crossroads. We are at a point in time where we as individuals have to understand what our moral limits are. We have to also become knowledgeable of our judicial system. And we have to understand clearly what our constitution should and should not stand for. And other countries are looking at us and they are, I think it was mentioned earlier, they are somewhat on edge to see where we are going. We should all feel that same way, in my opinion, because without that, we don't maintain our personal energy to make sure that from this point forward, this is never repeated again. Our personal commitment as a community, America will never go through something like this again. Our, our democracy, our sense of humanity will never tolerate anything like this ever, ever, ever again. And without that energy, we may fall into the abyss. Even though one man may end up in prison, there are 10 others behind him 
to continue to test us, to test our resolve. So I don't I didn't think I was gonna say anything, but maybe that's the reason why I got called on by surprise. But I, I just want to encourage you and those of you that find this extremely stressful, just take a step back, breathe. There are 340 million people in this country. There is one man who's trying to bring us to our knees. And so far we have held him off. We have fought back and we've been successful. We just need to continue as a body of people, as a body of, of a nation that we stand together forever and not let anyone or anything ever do this to us again. Thank you for giving me a chance to speak. Well, thank you. You you gave a word. It was meant for you to come up and speak. And you are so absolutely right um, in everything that you said, because um, it's true. And I, too, love John Meacham. Um, and I heard him when he said that. And it's true um, that uh, we have to really recognize where we are um, at, at the, from a historical standpoint. And, you know, it's one of the things that I talk about um, to people a lot um, when I talk about politics and talking about them, you know, especially to people who, you know, say, I don't like talking about politics. And I said, I understand that it can be ugly, but I just want you to keep this in mind. That is what is happening in our uh, political sphere today becomes history tomorrow. So it is very important. And certainly if we are living it, why wouldn't we want to understand it, to be aware of it? And I think it's crucial that we are because during this historic moment in our history, we also have elements who are working feverishly to take away our history, okay, to deny our history. So us having these conversations, I feel like it's us planting a flag saying we were here. And, and was it um, Madam Vice President um, Kamala Harris who said, if you were wondering um, what you would be doing, uh, doing during, you know, moments like the Holocaust or whatever, ask yourself, what are you doing now? And I thought that was um, just, you know, perfect because it's true. So thank you so very much, Black Stem. What you added and contributed today was beautiful and so timely. So thanks again. And I hope you're doing well. It's been a moment, but um, I'm glad to see you and certainly, certainly glad to hear from you. And we have another voice from the past that I haven't heard in a while who has come up to join us Looking forward to hearing from Brother Khalil. How are you today? He may be having some connection problems. Can you hear us, Khalil? No, I, okay, I awesome. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I am um, sorry. I'm juggling several things at the same time. It is, you know, you all know I'm not I'm trying to, um, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? 
Yes, we can. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm sorry. Do you, do you need a moment? It's no, okay. No, I, yeah. if, if I don't, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to come back. If I, <laughs> okay. So, All right. Well, the floor is yours. No, I appreciate <laughs> I, You know, I, I just want to say hello to everyone. I don't get a chance to speak during the day that often. Um, these days, um, been really busy. Um, much busier than I thought I'd be at this point because I'm getting ready to walk away from this season. So, uh, uh, and I've been trying to get to your advocacy. I mean, I've been able to listen to some of it, but every time you have this class, I mean, I I said class because that's kind of how I see it. Every time you have your space, I'm like too busy to try to, to plug in. And I've been hearing some really great things uh, and some things that, of course, has provoked me to think about, um, you know, where we are um, and what we're doing. Um, and I, you know, what kind of provoked, provoked me was here was Ali's comments as well as Black Stem's comments. Um, you know, I take a different take on this. I'm a lot more optimistic than others are, you know, as someone who who focuses on leadership development and community development and and does, you know, counseling and, and, and so on, um, you know, I, I'm probably predisposed to trying to find uh, the positives um, and it's, it's sort of part of my training and as well as trying to make lemon, out of, you know, lemonade out of lemon. So, so, Keep that in mind as I say what I'm ready to say, but I, you know, I my perspective is that um, I am not, I am, um, I'm obviously concerned as we all are. I'm just, uh, you know, we're way past disturbed and and all of those things. You know, we've been dealing with this for seven years now of, of a man who's, if his mouth is moving, he's lying, right and um, so none of us are really shocked by the things that he says or anything that he does. Uh, but what I've been really encouraged by is the fact that I do pl- trust the, par- the process. And for a, a, a black man of my age, or, you know, a segregation baby, trusting the process, I didn't always do so. Um, certainly in my younger years, I didn't. Um, and now as I get close to, you know, seven decades, the thing for me is I begin to realize how things play out. Um, uh, you know, the, the chess analogy that we use often is really pretty appropriate for this time because now we, we're seeing, for instance, the court system has not let us down. Um, it, we haven't talked about it much, but, you know, the court system has... The outside of outside of row, uh, and and we responded to that. By the way, um, states are responding to it. You know, voting voters have responded to it. They didn't get that red wave. Um, Kansas turned back uh, a ridiculous um, constriction of women's control over their own bodies. Um, I suspect other things that would happen even in states like Oklahoma and so on as well, given the opportunity. Um, but, you know, just in this case, you know, we, we look at what happened last week with the civil rights, with the voting rights um, 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 uh, decision 
uh, in, <clears throat> and um, I think it was, is it South, is it South Carolina? Um, where they yes. turned it back, South Carolina. You know, I mean, again, you know, even after they stacked the courts and even after they've done all these, you know, really things that we all know uh, are beneath the nation of our, of our value and worth to the world, you know, the courts, you know, really held up. Uh, and I think that's a, a, a very positive sign for us. And as Elliot pointed out, I, my friends from around the world have been asking me for a good five, six years, you know, what's going on here. Uh, and I'll take it even further than Ali that uh, my friends, my friends and acquaintances around the world, their attitude is America is, shouldn't be fighting back fascism, that America should be re, not just rejecting it, but this is a place where fascism could not survive. That's how they see it. They think that, like, wow, you know, there's no way that fascism is going you know, to survive in, in America. You know, they feel similarly about authoritarianism, too, um, uh, those that understand it. But most of them are like, nah, you know, there's no way America is, you know, this 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 banana republic. You know, y'all not y'all not gonna fall by the wayside. And I think that there's, as Ali said, enormous worry that you know we're gonna be the dominoes, right? That we're gonna create a domino effect. That you know, if America goes by the wayside, that this bully wins. And that's exactly what you're doing. If you listen to these people over the past week, they're trying to bully us to accept these conditions. And I just kind of laugh because I'm like, I don't care if, if Lindsay is crying. You know, um, you know, his arguments are not just stupid. They can't they don't stand scrutiny. You know, they don't stand scrutiny. The same thing with um, with, you know, um, the Ohio guy. You know that. Oh, Jordan, and I think it was yeah. North Carolina. I I said yes when North you, Carolina. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um. And and so I, my thing is is that we have a lot to be really encouraged by. And here's the the big thing, and this is what uh, Black Stem really made me think about, and that is, I I, I am, you know, I, as I said um, recently, I think it was in one of my classes, um, you know. The courts did what they're supposed to do. The DOJ did what they're supposed to do. So many had their had their doubts, right? They take they taken this case to um, they've indicted him, right? They did what they were supposed to do. The courts did what they do. They pushed back on the ridiculousness that is the mega movement, right? So who's left? We know that the judicial system is infected and infiltrated by megas, by people who don't have, I don't think they could literally spell democracy, not to mention really explain it. It's kind of like the great debate about CRT. You ask somebody what CRT was and they couldn't tell you. You know, there's no great debate there because they don't know what they're talking about. Or, and, and if you watch some of these discussions, some of these interviews of people, when they, when, when facts are thrown at them, the last, they, they finally just say, I don't care. They don't care. They don't care that the facts are the facts. They, they've made that quite clear. They don't care. So in my mind, 
I think we have a lot to be encouraged about here, too, because now it's our turn. They've placed this back in our hands where it should have been all the time, you know, all along. You know, and we'll, you know, and, and I think we've shown in recent elections that we will rise to the occasion. And the more people, I mean, they're alarming us. They're getting people's attention. There's, there certainly is a lot of, you know, fatigue around, you know, the former guy. Uh, and, 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 and really, the GOP, you know, their response, it just totally irresponsible response to, to what's going on here. Um, there's a lot of fatigue there, but they also have activated people. Got people engaged and, 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 and involved, and if you listen to mainstream media, your sense is that um, all these people don't care. All these people are not engaged. Uh, you know, they don't, they're all behind Trump, and we know that's not true. It's only about 25 to 30 percent that's on the on the high side that supports him, no matter what. You know, we know that in the last in the last presidential election, 81 million people rejected him. Okay, 70 something did you know, supported, you know, the other guy. But what we're really talking about is a movement, you know, and what we have to do is stuff out that movement. We snuff it out with education. And again, I, I, I say this, and I know I've been saying it ever since I started coming in these spaces, education is not, not the issue here. That's the solution. What's the issue here is ignorance. And that we need to be focused on, focused on educating people um, modeling as well what it is that we need to be doing right now. And, um, you know, I, I'm encouraged. I think that we'll have a much more, we have right now, a much more participatory, you know, um, citizenry than we have had, you know, likely since the 60s. You know, and the court um, ruling, that, was that, really that court ruling was in Alabama. I don't think people will let us, will let us down. I don't think American, you know, the responsible citizenry in this state, in this country, will let us down. You know, but you know, the, the other side of that though is that you notice in these states, particularly these red states, you know, um, where state legislatures are controlled by Republicans, uh, or the House is Republican, you know, the the, the governorship is controlled by Republicans. That they're 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 rushing to do what? Change laws to to codify their power. I mean, and that was their whole thing. Yes. I mean, they they had dark money invested in actually gaining GOP trifectas so that they could yes. implement this very agenda. So um, trust and believe they are not going to waste uh, one moment of power, uh, mm. even as their leader is, you know, put on trial. Well, let's go uh, further than that. Let's say that I think the... the, the, the the Republican Party in particular, was wistful about these indictments. They want to get rid of Trump. Yes. So you why know? not let Joe Biden yeah, exactly. do it and blame Joe Biden? That's so, right. Uh, That's exactly. Because right. they don't want him. Uh, I, you weren't here earlier, but I'm starting to hear like some of these people who were uh, very big staunch supporters. Turning Point USA was a big supporter of him. Mm -hmm. They're starting to back off a little bit. I mean, they're, you know, he's buddies with Don Jr., and, um, you know, they like DeSantis. Now, his campaign is crashing and burning. But again, mm -hmm. and, and the agenda is definitely the same. They don't like the package that Trump and the baggage that he brings. Oh, they, he doesn't win. 
Exactly. He doesn't win. I mean, so if you're trying to win, you're doing things like like uh, the former governor of Arkansas is doing. You're laying back in the cut and waiting for you know the the you know the federal government to take him out. You're waiting for New York to you know the case in New York, the other indictment to get him, and then you're waiting for what I call the fail safe. The fail safe is what's happening in Georgia because. The feds don't have any jurisdiction over that, and the governor doesn't have any. He can't. The governor couldn't even, if he was um, um, convicted in Georgia, the governor can't even pardon him. You know, so you know these are. This is the chess game. The chess game is that we're in, we're positioned to um, to move this democracy forward. As I, you know, we've talked about many times before. This is an experiment. So we have to decide if we're going to rise to the occasion. Are we going to recognize what the challenges are right now and rise to it? You know, and I think that we've demonstrated that we have. And I think young people in particular have demonstrated um, over the last two cycles that not as they come of age, not just in, in terms of being able to vote, but to come of age, politically come of age, that they're seizing um, control as well. They're seizing they're positioning themselves to be difference makers as well, you know. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't, uh, I'm not trying to be Pollyannish, but I'm a big fan of, of Meacham and Bischoff and Doris Kearns, and my personal favorite is, is John Hope Franklin. I history is, as you all know, is something that I really think a lot about, and I'm, I'm not discouraged at all. I'm, I, I believe that we will you know, rise to this challenge and um, take us to, take us beyond, help us. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to go back to what we were. No. That didn't yeah. work. I'm trying to move us forward. And that this that's what this challenge does. Exactly. It moves us forward. And I, I've just been dying to make it in here to kind of just share that, but also to, to hear other people's point of view. I want us to be optimistic because that presents better than, you know, oh, damn, you know, exactly. Yes. And I agree um, with you, Khalil. Absolutely. And and it is something for us to be um, very hopeful about. And this experiment has undergone a lot of disasters uh, that we recovered from. And I don't see this one as being any different. And, you know, him, you know, the former guy and all of his minions, um, they make a lot of noise. Um, they do a lot of dangerous stuff and they absolutely do pose a danger to our democracy. But they are a very small minority. Uh, I love what Dre said that, you know, we have a lot more, um, you know, people in this country who uh, just want to live their life um, and live it, you know, peacefully. Um, and they want to mind their own business. And um, they don't care if other people, um, you know, what they're doing. You know, it's like um, they just they just want the right to pursue, uh, have liberty and, and the pursuits of happiness without interference. Um, and they don't care about whether a woman is, you know, going to have her baby or if a drag queen is reading, you know, a story hour. So um, I agree with him so much on that and that's where it's on um, us 
to make sure that we amplify and raise our voices and push and push into the ripple till it bubbles up and the mainstream media grab holes sometimes. But even if they don't, we tell our own story and our narrative, the truth, um, because it's there. And, and I do believe that there are more sane people in this country who truly do want a healthy, thriving democracy for us all. And I posted in the thread, you know, this being Pride Month and everything and Joseph being here. But, you know, because the truth of the matter is none of us are free until we're all free. And that's for everyone. And uh, the fact that um, they pick marginalized demographics to target is, you know, again, something that has been tried before um, because it doesn't affect a large number of people. They figure that... um, it's okay, and some people will go along with it, but that is the slippery slope that they all like to talk about that actually leads to other larger bodies and demographics of people uh, being targeted, and, and if we're not careful, it's too late, but I think that we're all aware, and I feel like... Um, Um, action is being taken and changes are being made and we're going to keep doing our part here and I'm with you um, Khalil I I am not um, lost in a sea of despair I'm very happy to see the wheels of justice turning no matter how slow um, just to know that they're still going and still working gives me hope because I know this sounds strange but the one thing the one good thing that I believe the former guy did was show us in his reign and all of his menu, what they have shown us are the cracks in our democracy. They have shown us the areas that need to be fixed, that need to be repaired and shorn up. So because I think that there were a lot of people in this country who kind of felt like our democracy just ran on autopilot. It doesn't. It requires us. And uh, so if nothing else, I will thank him for that. You know, because it's got a lot of people. I have heard a lot of people over the past, you know, uh, half decade uh, say they weren't interested in politics until he came on the scene. And they're on our team. So whatever it is taken for people to, you know, be aware and and to become civically engaged, um, I'm all for it. It's sad that they had to come in on that chapter, but you're here. And the fact of the matter is we all have to be here all the time because our democracy um, is never set in stone. It's never solid. And the moment we take our hands off and our eyes away, uh, you can believe the fifth column is at work to destroy it. So again, uh, Khalil, thank you so much. Black Sam, I'm going to give it to you. And then Mark, I know had his hand up and um, I'll go back to him if he's ready. He might not be ready yet, but Black Sam, you, Mark, and then we have a new speaker in, and I'm going to start winding this up, but it has been a fabulous conversation with some great voices in here today. I'm truly blessed uh, to be a part of this community. So thank you all so very much. Um, this is, I'm, I'm back again. I just wanted to reinforce what the gentleman that just spoke, what he just said. Um, One of the other things that I pay attention to is not only history, but also economics. And one of the things that um, has been brought up time and time again is that the American economy is actually working um, very well right now, even though the general population is pessimistic about the situation. 
um, because of housing issues and, and expectations around student debt. The fact that the American economy that Biden and Harris has this economy roaring like an engine after coming out of the pandemic is a is an absolute miracle, according to many um, economists. So my point being is this, that there's many parts of things in our country that are working well right now. Um, we talked about the judicial system is still holding um, and doing what it's supposed to do. Our economy is also um, working. People are getting jobs um, and not just certain groups of people, all different types of people are getting jobs for the first time in America at large numbers. Um, our international relations are on the upswing, um, even though we've got this issue with Ukraine and uh, China. Uh, when you take a step back and look at what's happened with the European continent since Biden and Harris came on board, um, we as an international community, uh, we as a community of people who wanted to um, not turn away from the international, uh, our international peers, we succeeded. America succeeded in um, doing exactly that. So there's many things that we can all be um, keeping an eye on and making sure that we're getting the good news out to people, um, especially to our young people, um, and make sure that they understand that Trump is just one small portion of this country, and we need to keep him very, very small. Yes, he's testing us, but as everybody has said, so far, we're passing the test. We're holding, our country is holding uh, firm and our systems, our institutions are working and our economy is working. So we just need to get that message out and make sure that people see the whole entire picture, not just this little part of what's happening in America. Thank you. Beautiful. You're absolutely right. Um, and I do try to... Um, um, bring that into our conversation frequently because we still have a war going on, folks, over in Ukraine, uh, which is basically right now the shield for Western democracy. Um, and um, Putin um, is absolutely looking at our political um, uh, goings on right now. Of course, you know, we know that he was involved before to bring the former guy, um, the, you know, the White House squatter. Um, and he would certainly be um, enriched greatly if he were in there again. You know, the war would end. And Trump keeps saying that. And we know why, because, you know, his first impeachment. So, OK, so um, or, or or what I can't even remember which what was the first impeachment for? Was that it? Okay. He, I mean, really, this man has done so much. I'm, I'm, I'm losing track. But uh, thank you. It was for the call to Ukraine. Okay. All right. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Um, so um, thank you so much, Black Stem. And um, Mark, you were up next. And we have a new speaker who I um, um, have invited up. I and mean, I'm going to um, allow them to follow you, Mark. And um, that is Auburn. So uh, welcome to um, our um, advocacy arena and looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, just to be brief, because uh, Khalil brought up some good stuff that um, I really wanted to follow up on. Um, with regard to the rule of law, it's, it's the bedrock principle of our American democracy. Um, and I say that especially as a, as a Black male American, 
Um, you know, I really do believe in the idea of equal justice under the law. And I do believe that the reason why we are here um, as tragic and as ironic as our history of being here is, it is the rule of law and the laws that were laid down by imperfect people that you know, provide our existence here, here now. And, and also our, our lives and our livelihood depend on the rule of law. Um, that's why I uh, am, so, am so passionate about it being equally applied to all. Uh, no matter who you are, uh, and also accountability being um, imposed upon those who uh, break the law and those, and, um, and, and whether they're powerful, uh, whether they're ex-presidents or not. Um, this person uh, that's a defendant, that the United States versus Donald J. Trump, the defendant, has had a lifetime of, of, of being a powerful person that abused justice um, for most of his adult life. And he's finally being held to account and that's what the that's the bedrock principle of our rule of law. All this talk about banana republic and and um, and um, dictatorships and you know uh, have it all wrong. The, the premise is wrong, and they contradict themselves when they talk about this is a banana republic to prosecute your political opponent. Well, you know he was a, he's a political opponent by choice. Nobody asked him to run. He decided to run after. An investigation, two investigations, actually four investigations had already been started. And he's running he to avoid to run. accountability. <laughs> and and candidacy is not a shield uh, for criminality. Um, so, and we would indeed be a some sort of dictatorship or a banana republic if we didn't hold those in power to account for wrongs against the United States Constitution and the crimes they commit. That is exactly what happens in the banana republic, that people in power and politicians can can commit crimes with reckless abandon and impunity. Uh, we're not, that's not happening here. What's happening here is that you have a guy that they actually, in, in this case, you have a guy that they went, they, they just bent their arms backwards to appease. Uh, the, the actual investigation into Trump's, uh, Trump's transgressions should actually make us upset that they waited so long because they waited a whole year to get these documents almost to the point where are they really important or not is going to, is going to come up because it's going to be one of the defense arguments that these, these are NDI. Yes. But how important was it that the, the government and NARA was, was talking to this guy for a year. Finally, they had to do a, a, a subpoena for the documents. They found out they didn't get the documents that they subpoenaed because there was more Then they had to do a, um, they had to do a uh, search warrant after the subpoena. Do, a search warrant, and then they still didn't get the documents that they would. And, and they were being hidden, and, and there was all kinds of obstruction that was not only audio taped, but also um, filmed by security cameras. And they tried to destroy the security cameras, too, which is part of this case. So, so um, this is not an a issue. And, and also the equivocation uh, to Pence, Biden, and Hillary is not the same. These are NDI documents. And uh, frankly, to put it just simply, Pence, Biden, and Hillary complied. When and Hillary probably could have been charged with uh, a minor uh, mishandling classified information um, crimes. They would have been minimal, though. But she did turn over her, her server when, when asked to. She wasn't subpoenaed to do it. She turned it over. Pence and Biden did the same thing. There's a bunch of politicians that have classified documents right now that are in the Senate right now. They sh probably shouldn't have. And they're probably doing the same thing. This is not a case of that, though. This is a case of a person with reckless abandon and impunity kept the documents that was specifically asked for. And if you look in that indictment, they define the kinds of documents 
that they're that they're talking about in these 31 documents that are part of the uh, counts one through 31. They define them. They give you the, the neuron. They give you these like uh, DOD documents. They give you the acronyms and describe what they are so that when you see it in the indictment, you know what he had. Um, spy satellite information, nuclear capabilities of, of uh, our adversaries and our allies, uh, our defense uh, our defense pro uh, proposition when a certain country may attack us and where they attack us. What was he going to use those for? He saw value in those because Trump always sees value in, in commodification of information and documents. That's, that's been his whole life. He tries to make these deals. He even suggested a deal uh, being indicted. He, he, he threw out the number 18 million. Uh, he, he's trying to make a deal now. If we pay him, um, you know, he, he won't run for president. $18 million. He threw it out in a sneaky way just a couple of days ago. Um, you, you'll read about, I've seen some, some people write about it, but he, he threw it out in like, in jest, uh, that, uh, Nixon took 18 million or something like that. And they didn't indict him. Uh, I didn't send him to jail. So, so going back to my original point and, and that's the inspiration I got from Khalil is that rule of law is, is what's most important. And lastly, um, I, and because of that, I'm actually going to be teaching an undergrad class, um, uh, pre-law, uh, about from, uh, from um, Dred Scott to uh, 1954 board, Brown versus Board of Education following Supreme Court precedent that led to going from Dred Scott. Congratulations, Mark. <laughs> ne next spring. So I'm, I'm te and that's, that all has to do with the rule of law and how it's applicable, how precedent happens throughout our history in the course of civil rights and fighting for civil rights, going through the Civil Rights uh, uh, Act of 1866, talking about the 14th Amendment and how what Katanji Brown Jackson was talking about when she argued the recent case uh, of the Alabama outline, uh, Alabama uh, um, uh, Milligan in Alabama about them re uh, drawing lines that are race specific, how that affects uh, Louisiana and other states across the country. Um, and also her argument in uh, the affirmative action case is going to come out that I think is going to be another five for opinion. They're going to leave it. They're going to leave it as is because of that argument. What is the 14th Amendment was not colorblind. We are not a colorblind society. Our laws have never been colorblind because it is black people that have given the soul and the spirit to our laws. There would be no equal protection if it wasn't for black people. The 14th Amendment made the Fifth Amendment apply to the states because of black people. That, that is a, the absolute 100% truth. Don't let anybody ever tell you something other than that. You can look at the, like, like Katanji Brown Jackson did in her textualist argument, make the argument that this is a specific reason for the 14th Amendment, and it's in the argument in the papers, and it was a part of the conference that they came to to make Black Americans equal to white Americans um, coming from part slavery. Part of the Reconstruction laws. In Reconstruction. So don't tell me, and we haven't achieved Dr. Martin Luther King's dream. It's still a dream, but we're still a more perfect union, too. So it doesn't mean that, like, uh, like Khalil says, it doesn't mean the work is not done. The experiment still is happening. Some people don't like how the experiment is going. We don't like how the experiment is going. There might not be too many people that like how the experiment is going, but the experiment has to go. Because I'm not going to stop existing. And I don't want you to stop existing. And we need to keep on pushing our existence and the reason why we're here and, and adherence to what is so important and what differentiates the United States of America from all other countries around the world that follow the United States of America is our presence and is our union with this country. I don't mean the United States of America, the state's union. I mean our union with this country and the principles for which it stands. 
with that, thank you so much, D. I always love advocacy. Arena. Oh, I love um, it thank when you for your passion me, is. Thank you for letting me. <laughs> thank you for letting me cook. Thank you for letting All me right. cook. I had to well, cook a little I bit. love it when My, your here, passion is, is on fire, and it certainly is. Yeah. And I am so so happy. I know that this is a course that you have been working on and have been wanting to teach. And I just uh, am so happy and excited for you, and look forward to you coming to share. Uh, with us um, as you're, you know, digging in and, and teaching, because I, I believe that um, we, when we teach, we also learn. And um, those of us who enjoy, you know, learning like to share a lot of times what we learn. So I'm looking forward to learning so many things from you uh, as you're teaching this course. And again, so happy for yeah. you. Um, I want to be one of those people that take that class by proxy. Isn't that what it's called? You take it by proxy. You're not getting any credit, but you can get all the information and knowledge. That would be so exactly. Awesome. <laughs> I feel like we are. We really are doing that many times uh, when we sit in these spaces with Mark. So um, again, I'm so honored and appreciative uh, of you sharing your talent. Um, so, um, oh, Geechee has come up. I'm so happy to see him. I'm going to go to Khalil and then uh, Geechee. And I'm going to be a little brief, if you don't mind. <laughs> I'm not sure what that is. I, I just want to say, um, again, I want to just thank you, um, Dee, for creating this opportunity for us to have these kinds of thoughtful discussions, um, these kind of out, you know, where we have to, we're able to get eyes, not just out insight from other people, but information and things that help uh, help us grow and understand our current condition and our situation and how we're to how we are to continue to move forward and um, I don't think we can say enough about you know just the steadfastness in which you've been about creating these opportunities oh well thank you so much it, it like I said I get excited about it you know, just um, like Mark is about the law, I feel that way about uh, having people civically engaged and, and, and you know, uh, good, healthy discourse um, around that. So um, well, see, you guys that, bring me as much joy. <laughs> but see, that's the evolution that we can't miss here. You know, a year and a half ago, we weren't nearly as evolved politically as we have been. We've become as a result of the commitment that you've made, you know, and um, you know, and others have made as well. You know, I, I think about, you know, Renee, you know, when she has her, 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 um, her rooms that they tend to be, um, very, very insightful or, you know, Jante, um, you know, uh, you know, I know Dawn and them haven't done anything in a while, but we aren't, we're here because we built this, so to speak, this intellectual uh, and social community, this family. So I think it's important for us to just recognize that that, and we we're we're in a different we're not where we were a year and a half ago. Do we have a lot of places yet to go? Yes, you know. But the foundation has been laid. I'm going to be teaching a class this Thursday, a team building class, and one of the classes, you know, in every class I teach, I try to, you know, I got to lay a foundation. You know, normally you guys identify that when they when the instructor goes over the objectives of the class or whatever. For me, I tend to go a little deeper. I tend to, you know, try to use different 
methods or different perspectives in terms of laying the foundation for this class. And this class is for based uh, primarily probation officers, juvenile probation officers um, who work alongside the courts uh, and, learn, uh, and, of course, some of our partners in the community. And what's interesting is I chose to use something called Bushido. It's called the Eight Virtues of Bushido. And I don't know if anybody's familiar with that, but that's a Japanese... That's the, that's the rules, so to speak, the the laws, so to speak, that the, that the samurai um, used uh, um, during the uh, you know early part of the Japanese culture um, history, and there are eight parts of it. One is justice, courage, uh, compassion, respect, integrity, honor, loyalty, and self-control. So. So as I'm talking to these folks, I'm laying this foundation for us as we go further into the training on that day, that, that, that I have something in place that we can build off of, you know, that we're all speaking, so, so to speak, uh, as they often say, dreaming, uh, singing from the same hymn book. And, and so, and the reason I bring that up is because one of the things that I think that we've been able to establish here is that the, there are um, things that we believe in. Things that, you know, I won't go so far as to call them virtues, but these are things that foundationally we put in place to move forward, you know, to, to, to get the most out of our time together, albeit short. And that's the thing that I think that we want to remember that, you know, we've been getting these alternative, alternative truths and truth isn't truth and all these kind of things that we've heard from folks on the other side now. And, and. And I, I just need to understand that that foundation is what we build on, but that's also our anchor. So we can have differencing, differing, differing opinions about how to get to point B or C or D, but we need to be clear on what it is that we believe in, that we believe in this nation's potential, that we're part of it, we want to be part of its solution, that we believe, we understand that democracy is an ongoing, evolving thing. You know, we, that we understand that um, the roles of women, the roles of families, all those things are under e evolution as well, contrary to what our friends on the far on the right want. You know, conservative, you know, conservatives big issues, they're afraid of change. So that's a whole nother conversation. But my point being this is that we we have those things already established. We don't have to every time we get together, reestablish that foundation, because that's already in place. You know, that we believe in each other, too. We may have our differences, differences, but we believe in each other as well at the end of the day. So I am, I am not being Pollyannish when I say that there's a lot here to build on. And a lot of, we've come a long way. All you have to do, particularly as old heads in here, as old schools in here, is examine where we were in a year and a half ago. And look at the resources at our disposal, the people who've come forward, the lessons we learned from each other. I got three and a half notebooks of, of things I've learned from you all, you know. Um, so I'm just asking us to to acknowledge that and then go from there to take advantage of that. You know, I said earlier about modeling. We need to model. So I'm not going to be arguing with people who don't want to change. They already to they told us. They said, listen, I don't care what the man does. They're fanboys. They don't, they, you know, fangirls. They don't care what he does. So why would I argue with that? 
But I do know that there's been a very targeted approach, a targeted effort to go after people within my community. And let me be real frank and say black men. I know that's the case. So when I have the opportunity and I don't miss one, I drop a dime. So that means I need to be prepared. I need to talk about those facts. I need to. So when Shorty comes back to me and says to me, you know, well, you know, Khalil, I don't believe none of that. So then give me some facts. I need some some receipts. You know, you know, let me you know. I'm sitting in the barbershop. That's exactly what I'm doing. I, I don't miss an opportunity to do that. And I model that. So when I walk out, you know, I remember in the last occasion, my barber said to me, you know, when you were here last time, you know, you dropped a whole bunch of information. They're still talking about it. That's who I want to be. When I walk in there, I want to be somebody. They go, that brother, I may not agree with him, but he's for real. You know, he's part of the solution. You know, I'm not arguing. You know, I know I've been targeted by some people in this, in, in this, uh, on this app, you know, to try to mute my voice. You know, I, you know, I, look, this is one of the places I spend my time. You know, I don't, I'm not worried about my voice being muted. When I need, if I want to be part of a, I want to be part of change, I find a way to do it. If it's somehow I can't do it here, you know, I'll find another place. I am not, my growth is not going to be studied by, by this. Not, not knowing what we, you know, all that we've been through, all that we, you know, as a, as a people, as a community, as a society, I'm going to let, you know, Elon undermine my ability to get to people and to talk to people and to be a difference maker? I don't think so. So, again, this let's continue to believe in each other and do the things that we need to do. And, 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 and um, you know, I think we're going to be not just fine. We're going to we have the opportunity to be outstanding if we want to be. And that's where I'm going to be. So, Dee, again, thank you. Soul Sister, thank you. You all for taking your time out of your busy day to create something like this. And I say this again, do you understand what I'm saying? Others may not, but I'm old. I remember when all we had was a copy. We didn't have no copy machine. We had a mimeograph machine. And we had to sneak in the office to get that. We, you know, when, once the principal left or, you know, the, the lady, the church lady left, we went in there and, and, and made copies of things, you know, to make posters and things like that. We didn't have access to the tools and things that they use that everybody thinks of. And not to mention, the most incredible thing is that I'm right now talking to people from all over this country, all over this world. I just, to me, that's just incredible. I know that doesn't mean anything to you millennials or some of you younger folk, but man, I'm talking to, talking to the blue I'm talking to Ali, and she's in Paris. You know, I mean, come on. And I'm listening, and I'm hearing things that would ordinarily, I would do my, I would go my whole life and never have conversations that we are having here daily, routinely. Thank you, Dee. Thank you, Sosis. I love we you. love you too, Khalil, and thank you so much. And what a joy for you to be able to come and share with us. Uh, today and I love the uh, story that you shared in the example because um, I too uh, do that. Uh, my touch point with having these conversations um, is ride shares a lot, um, and um, you'd be surprised in a you know ten fifteen minute 
uh, ride uh, the kind of conversation and impact that, that you can have. I've had many of my rideshare drivers ask for my advocacy um, arena, you know, my handle and, and my spaces, and they've listened in and asked me to send it to them. So you can have an impact. And, and that I also like that you said that, you know, you were laying a foundation. And I feel like a lot of the conversations that we have, I call it laying track. And that's what it is. It's building, you know, the stories that I'm uh, sharing about dark money. It's it's laying track, a foundation for, you know, understanding, for, for greater understanding rather than starting with the huge picture. I mean, you give the, you know, the broad overview and then you start um, laying that track and the foundation of understanding so that people are standing on solid ground on factual information and that is more important to me um than um you know being um having a lot of followers being you know it's just about touching people in a real way with real information that i know that they could use in their everyday life that is how we make change so i just thank you all for being a part of that and for contributing and for laying some of that track because I feel like when you come in here and you share um, that is what you're doing so um, we're building the infrastructure of our democracy here and I thank you all for being a part of that um, we understand um, and I am uh, thrilled to have Geechee with us today. He is going to be our last speaker. It's been a phenomenal conversation. I am so glad you guys chose to hang out with us today. And we're going to close with Reverend Geechee. And um, I'll go to my fabulous co-host and then close you out with the great, inspiring, encouraging words of John Lewis. I'm going to be rather brief. Thank you for um, hosting this space today. Um, hopefully this is my last day of like work, work today until like the end of the month. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I just want to say everyone, keep your eyes on the prize. There's going to be a lot of stuff going on in the media over the next year and a half or more. Who knows how long all this stuff is going to take place, but a lot of stuff's going to be happening. Um, one of the things I want to say is pray for the Clintons. Um, I know their names are going to come up over and over and over again, even for things that have nothing to do with them, but they're always going to come up already. You've probably already heard about Hillary Clinton and her damn server and her emails and all that other shit, um, but it's not, it does not matter in this situation at all. Um, like Mark said, that she maybe she could have been charged, but it would have been for a low-level offense. So it's not the same situation. She wasn't sharing like state secrets, the weaknesses of our military, how our nuclear program works to Joe Schmo, who is golfing at Trump's golf club. That's probably a spy from Russia, China, who knows wherever, because he's so lonely, so miserable, and has so much bravado, so much um, no hubris at all, and is braggadocio. So those things aren't relevant. And you're going to hear about Bill Clinton and his perjury thing. Again, not really relevant, but you're going to hear it over and over and over and over again. But while that's happening, please also pay attention to people like Ron DeSantis and Mike Pence that are openly embracing neo uh, Confederate, not no need for neo Confederate, Confederate generals, their failed strategy, their slave holding, their white supremacy, and also the fact that, and their opinions, according to DeSantis, that Gorsuch, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, and Kavanaugh 
are not harsh enough as judges, and we need more people like Alito and Uncle Tom. I mean, excuse me, um, Clarence Thomas. So that's also things that we have to pay attention to, too. Also, I think there's going to be a lot of doom and gloom as this process goes across the board. It may be people that are like, this isn't strong enough, or this is too weak, or this, let it pass. Sometimes you'll have good good conversations from it. I debated against Mark today. It was a good debate. None of us are hurt. We're both brothers. Nothing's going to change. It's a good thing. But then you're going to get other people that are damn dumb as fuck that are going to say, oh, my God, he's, if he doesn't get 7,000 years, it's going to be the end of the republic. It's not. It's not. Yes, I would prefer that the punishment for espionage be what the Rosenbergs got. I would prefer that. But I know that's likely not the case. But I still think that a is going to survive if he gets a penalty that is less than what the Rosenbergs got. So just, again, let's be kind to each other, be considerate to each other, keep our eyes on the prize. Oh, and one last thing. Um, Gretchen Whitmer has a pact that is trying to help the um, Biden-Harris at. So does J.B. Pritzker. So does Roy Cooper. So does John Bell Edwards. And so does this guy named Gavin Newsom. That does not mean they are going to primary the VP in 2028. They may still primary the VP in 2028. It also does not mean they're going to win the primary in 2028. It's okay to help Joe and Kamala without it being a conspiracy theory. So can we please, for at least a day or two, maybe a month, put away the tinfoil hats? That's all I have today. Um, thank you all again for hosting this space, and love everybody. Thank you, Geechee, and we love you too, and I appreciate that. And, and also keep in mind, too, like I heard some um, – Gavin news uh, over um, the uh, some of my dark money research over in Turning Point USO. So be careful. Sometimes they are driving. I mean, they the extreme right and maggot. They are driving some of these conversations that end up taking place that we battle each other. Um, about and over. So just be aware of that. Um, and um, I, I say, take Geechee's advice. Don't fall for it. Keep our eyes on the prize. We are winning. This is um, not a one and done. It is a long um, process. And we're just going to have to buckle ourselves in and um, keep our head on a swivel. Um, so thank you so much, Geechee. So glad that you were able to join us today and give us such great advice. <laughs> so people, maybe some of them can stop losing their minds over nonsense. Let's just deal with 2024 right now. <laughs> um, so with that, I just want to thank all of you who have joined us today, those who have came up and uh, joined us in the conversation and made contributions and those of you who have uh, listened um, in the gallery, I just want to thank you all and encourage you to share and retweet the space for others who may not have been able to join us. I do think it is um, a great conversation um, that others would enjoy. So I am so appreciative for all of you making it an awesome space as you always do. And with that, I am going to give my fabulous co-host an opportunity to give you some closing thoughts. And um, then I'm going to wrap this up and thank you again. 
Thank you so much, Dee. And uh, yeah, today has been one of those uh, stellar conversations that tend to happen here in advocacy arena, and uh, it does not disappoint ever. Um, I just want to touch on a few things. Um, it you know, ever since Joseph was talking about his. Uh, his experience or his questioning his questions from the reporter about do you feel safe wow what what a word um what a question uh when you're an un, underrepresented minority in this country um whether it's by your sexual or your orientation or your race it um uh, the level of safety is 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 based on the situation and um, the environment you're in literally at that time. So uh, it's important that we continue to work towards building a stronger democracy and supporting those who are definitely helping us achieve that measure uh, so that we all at some point come to the same opportunities for feeling as safe as the next person. And, and that's equity. Um, I know we talk about equality. I know we talk about justice and I know we talk about democracy and all of those things are imperative. But my biggest wish after democracy, of course, <laughs> is equity. It is something that I will not let go of. It is something that I will not stop talking about. And it is something that is quite vastly different than equality. And I, I, I think the people in this room understand exactly what I mean. Um, <clears throat> you know, Renee, when she spoke, it was, um, it was like, I felt like we should just close the room. She had she had said everything, all the words. And and that is a gift. She is a gift to this community. And then we had Black STEM come up. Then we had um the new person. Oh my goodness, I can't believe Dre. I forgot his name that quickly. Dre come up, you know, and Khalil it and Mark and everybody afterwards and out Allie. Uh it's just been it it's just been transformative um and it's um is as much of a high as i thought i was on coming into this space it's amazing how much peace i get in my soul from being in a space and being a part of this community um with the rest of you and i i i am so grateful for having that opportunity um we have some brilliant minds in here and there is no doubt about that. And what I love about what Geechee said is, is, you know, the back and forth that him and him and Mark had, um, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing to watch because you see two people, they're not battling to be correct. They're battling to make sure that we're as educated about the issues, you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes somebody else is right. Sometimes, the, you know, the other person is, but it's a beautiful thing that he made sure that he said, we're friends. This is, this doesn't, 
this didn't change anything. And I love that. I love I've that had to endure that from Renee and Tim for a long time. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful thing. And that's what makes this that is what makes it a community and whether people want to, to, whether people like that word or don't like that word, I don't know. It's the only word I can think of to look up, to, 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 to characterize what we have been able to build here um, amongst us. So I just, I want to say um, thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. And um, uh, I, I can't wait to the next space. It's, 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 it's fulfilling. Thank well, you. Thank you uh, so very much. And I, I do so appreciate you um, sharing your time uh, with us and with me agreeing to be my co-host and doing a fabulous job. As always, you could be doing a million things uh, on Mondays, but um, you agreed to hang out with me and um, have some of these great conversations that we've had. So I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you for doing that and uh, the great contributions that you always make to our conversations. Um, so thank you again. Uh, I feel much the same way as you do. I, I look forward to um, this space on Monday. It feeds my soul. Um, I do have them more frequently sometimes, but um, I'm trying to pace myself um, because um we have a long road ahead of us and um, a lot of conversations to be had. And I always, you know, sometimes I, yes, I like to have fun, but I really do want to have conversations that um, kind of move the dial or, or, you know, really matter at uh, the important times. And I know that I may not always be able to have them, but there are other people in this community who understand that and rise to the occasion again the beauty of this community is that we don't all have to do everything. And I, I've said this many times. We, in, in fact, you know, none of us can know everything, nor can we do everything. But it's important that we're all aware and that we do something that we're willing to learn um, from one another and to educate one another. And that is, again, the beauty of this community, because that is what um, continues to happen. And I feel so blessed. And I feel like our community, um, and when I say our community, not just us, the people who, you know, hang out and have these conversations, but I mean, like our greater community, our democracy, I believe, is made um, stronger by conversations amongst um, communities like this. And um, I uh, just encourage us to keep having them uh, invite me when you can. And I always try to support. Um, we have some great folks in um, the space. Um, if you are not following the folks that have spoken in this space, you're missing out on some great follows, great information. We just want to keep amplifying one another, encouraging one another. And um, when we don't understand, have the conversations to help bring us to understanding. And we don't always have to agree, but we can come to a place of understanding and we can agree to disagree. It's okay. That's, you know, called conversation. <laughs> so um, I'd like for us to be able to get back to our place um, in our society at large, where that can take place um, again. But, you know, we have a ways to go on that, but we can start small and we can set the example, as Khalil talked about, you know, 
being the example. And I just want to thank all of you for being great examples of great citizens, of great advocates. I know when I say that word, it scares the crap out of some of you. I'm not sure I'm an advocate. You're an advocate. Trust me. We're all advocates for democracy. Um, some of us advocate for a few other things um, as well, but we are all advocates and it's important that we all stay, um, you know, and become better advocates. It's going to take all of us raising our voices um, and bringing attention to the things that are going on. So I just want to say, keep your head on a swivel, stay um, informed, engaged, take a break when you need to. Um, there are many of us and we will continue and join back in when you're able. Um, and just know that when you are not with us, we miss you. And of course, we always um, welcome you back. And when you're gone, you are here with us in spirit. And uh, in particular today, speaking of being with us in spirit, um, I want to ask folks to uh, lift up our friend LMC um, today who is not here with us and just send her some warm, um, you know, healing uh, thoughts um, and prayers. And I'm hoping to see her again back on the timeline and in spaces and hear her beautiful voice and contributions. Um, with that being said, I am going to leave you with words that uh, move me and I feel are always applicable uh, to the conversations that we have here and certainly uh, today. And these are the words of the late great representative John Lewis. Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. So you guys keep going out there uh, in these Twitter streets and in real life um, engagements making noise and be good troublemakers. And um, we'll see you back in the next uh, advocacy arena, certainly on Monday. And if the spirit moves us, we might have one later in the week. And certainly, oh, Shantae uh, will be having her space tomorrow. Join us over there. I'm going to try to catch her if I don't get a phone call or, or <laughs> fall asleep. Um, but um, she will have her space on Tuesday, and it is also um, a great um, conversation um, and um, place to get more information where we communicate. So find us there, too. Um, and um, certainly if Renee, Tiff, or anyone else in the community uh, decides that they're going to have spaces, they usually always share it with us. So you guys do share, we'll amplify, and we'll join and support. And that is also just one of the beautiful things about this community, um, the support that um, we can always find amongst one another. So love all of you for supporting me and uh, Soul Sister and um I, again, look forward to supporting any of you who are going to be having, um, you know, some spaces and conversations for us to, to learn, grow, and just, um, you know, stay encouraged um, or vent if we need to. And, you know, there are those moments. But until then, I just want to leave you all with peace and blessings for a fantastic week. Happy Arraignment Week, guys. And I just want to leave you with a ballroom, a bedroom, and a bathroom. Listen to 
the indictment, guys. Okay? See you around. <laughs> Bye-bye.